0: Welcome to Four Guys in a Comic. I'm live or die, happy to introduce your host, Red, Rusty, Tap and Nova.
1: Please welcome today's special guest, David Gallagher.
2: Welcome, everyone. We have a special interview for us today. I'd like to introduce David Gallagher. Welcome, David.
0: Oh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Of course, we have the usual suspects on the call. I got Tap and Rusty and Nova with us. And we're gonna have some fun today. Ready, guys? Yes. Yep. Sweet. So, David, for those people out there unfamiliar with your work, we're wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, please.
0: Okay. So, my name is David Gallagher. I'm a comic book author. People say that I'm a pioneer of digital comics. I worked with Marvel in the early days of what became their digital comics empire. Um, I'm the so I wrote some Iron Man stories, a Spider Man story, The Incredible Hulk for Marvel. Um, And then I am the author and co-creator of High Moon, a werewolf western series that won a Harvey Award a couple years back. The author of Box 13, the first comic ever made for uh, Comixology's digital app. So it was the first comic in America that you could ever read on your phone, your iPhone. Um, The author of The Green Lantern Corps. And um, my current book is The Only Living Boy, published by PaperCuts.
2: Yes, we had the pleasure of getting a copy of that from you, and thank you for that, and uh, really enjoyed reading it. Maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about that.
0: Oh, yeah, so The Only Living Boy is a story of a 12-year-old boy named Eric who runs away from home and finds himself lost in this patchwork alien world where there's mermaid warriors, insect princesses, mad scientists, and dragons. We call it uh, basically like a mix between the island of Dr. Moreau and the Jungle Book. So it's a very um, – it's a, it's sort of a love letter to these classic pulps, but with like John Carter, Tarzan, I mentioned before the Jungle Book. But it's also got this underpinning of this bridge to Terabithia kind of uh, fault in our stars kind of stuff going on. So we really wanted to create this nice young adult slash middle reader book that was – Uh, symbolic of the kind of stories we wanted to read growing up whether you know whether it was the black cauldron or hobbit we tried to put all of that stuff into this series
3: fantastic yeah i enjoyed the book immensely um i the whole time i was reading it i just kept thinking to myself this is definitely something that i could read with my seven-year-old son and this is something that i want to see turned into a cartoon to watch with my seven-year-old son See, I was sitting there, I was thinking the same thing as I was going through it. I was like, this could totally be like an animated
4: series.
2: Yeah. Agreed. That's my exact same thought as well.
0: Yeah. Well, when we thought of it, like one of the things that really inspired me and, and Steve Ellis, who's the illustrator and co creator, is things like Johnny Quest, which we really loved. There was a sense of danger and menace to Johnny Quest. Nothing ever felt too big that the characters couldn't handle. And what one of the things we did when we worked on this series was making sure that we create an environment where the main characters figure out problems for themselves. You know, nothing is ever given to them or gifted to them. If they, they find themselves in a situation incumbent upon them to, to work out the solution. And I think that it's the kind of story, or we hope it's the kind of story, that teaches kids more about resilience and self-reliance and confidence even in the face of tremendous adversity.
3: Where can someone pick this book up at? Um, is it only at conventions? Is it in stores? Is it only uh, digital?
0: Yeah, so uh, The Only Living Boy came out in hardcover and trade paperback from Paper Cuts March 8th. It's distributed by Macmillan, so it's available in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, Toys R Us, any major bookstore that has a Macmillan account. So it's available worldwide. Comic shops comic shops um so yeah and it's it's the first the first book Prisoner over the patchwork planet is the first in a series of five books the second volume comes out in july the third in october There no, it'll be basically one a season um mm-hmm. between now and the end of next year
5: awesome all
2: right so beyond the sea and sky which is the second book we're looking at you said june correct july <clears throat> july 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 okay yeah looking forward to that now kind of circling back you know we're talking that uh you know, the art was by Steve Ellis. I really also enjoyed his art, putting uh, your story into this. And you now Steve Ellis did some work with uh, the Dungeons and & Dragons, and you can feel that flavor within the art. It, it definitely has that feeling within and tone within the comic strip as well.
0: Yeah, and that's actually, Steve, is. it's really interesting because when Steve and I travel and we do, in promotion of The Only Living Boy, one of the things we've been doing is instead of just doing signings, We do comics making workshops around the country. Mm -hmm. So we go around the country teaching kids and adults and senior citizens how to make comics and communicate with comics. And one of the greatest things is that we'll go to these conventions and there'll be kids who remember Steve's art from when he used to draw Magic the Gathering Mm -hmm. or remember Steve's art from when he used to draw Dungeons and Dragons or when he used to do – Steve also illustrated the Breaking Bad comic book. Or, and the Walking Dead video game. So people will come up to him and and see all of these different styles that he previously worked in that all sort of come to a head in this series.
3: Yeah, I can definitely see. I'm actually flipping through some of his art and stuff right now, and it's crazy the different styles that he's able to, to do, because most you know, artists, you know, they have one style, they stick with that one style. He's almost like a a wizard when it comes to to art and the different styles that he can pull off.
0: Yeah. And that's, what's really fascinating about, um, our work as a team, you know, um, we dabble in superheroes. We've done work for Marvel together and image and, and DC. And one of the things I really like about the work that we do is we dabble in superheroes, but most of the work we do is independent and we've been working independently On our own projects, whether it's High Moon, the Werewolf Western series we did for DC Comics, or Box 13, or or The Only Living Boy, each project we do has its own unique style. So Box 13 is almost like this Atari 2600, like green and red kind of neo-noir Manchurian candidate thriller. And High Moon definitely has this, like, if you could put Tom Waits' songs on paper or into a painting, it's got this very visceral, dirty like woodcut-like kind of feel. And The Only Living Boy is, yeah, definitely designed with a thinner line to create that sense of fluidity, like you might see in a Disney cartoon, or you might see in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. So it's great to work in those different styles, and to make sure that each project we're doing stands on its own. And The artwork that Steve does here is different than the artwork he does on Green Lantern, for instance. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun working with him, and it's a lot of fun to... um, People often don't think of comics these days as collaborative. So much of what we're seeing is either an artist whose name goes, uh, like, on the top, or a writer whose name is propelled out front. And seldom do you see teams that you can think of together like you can think of maybe snyder and capullo or uh, you can think of like McKelvey and, and gillian or you can think of lee and kirby but those are few and far between those those groups that sort of come up together those creators that come up together and just do so many collaborative projects that are independent and not necessarily beholden to the traditional superhero market
6: um, now, I wanted to ask what was. You mentioned a lot of, uh, you know, classic storylines that we would have liked to read as comics. Were there any um, other inspirations? Because as I read this, I got, just with the art style and the writing, I got a sort of uh, Jack Kirby, Kamandi uh, feel. Um, did you have any other inspirations besides the sort of classic stories uh, we all sort of grew up with?
0: So. You know, it's funny because I didn't read, this is going to sound terrible, but I didn't actually read Commandy until after we had already finished the first issue. And uh, people were like, oh, this seems a lot like Commandy. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's inspired by a Paul Simon song, like The Only Living Boy in New York. Like, that seems like a, a cool thing. And they're like, oh, no, dude, this is like totally Commandy. I was like, no. And then I read Commandy and I saw some similarities. I mean, um, but no more similarities than you would find in like Adventure Time. Or yeah. um, Battling Boy, where, you know, it's like this blonde-haired, blue-eyed kind of, you know, child lost in the world. But, I mean, I mean for me, we wanted to do something – so the idea, the inspiration for this – so I used to work for the New York City Police Department. And I was actually – one of my assignments was actually to be on the set of I Am Legend because they have officers sort of par- parole the perimeters and stuff like that. And I was there um, – And one of the things that I found, I was an officer, but I was working in capacity for the NYPD. And um, as I was leaving there, Will Smith's in that movie. And he's like this total badass. You know, so he's like a 40-year-old guy with tons of skills, a lifetime of training. He's got this awesome dog. And I've seen Will Smith movies. He's like a total badass in every movie he's in. And if I were a vampire, I would be scared of him. So I was thinking about this as I was leaving the set. I was like, well, you know, like, if I were a vampire, I wouldn't mess with Will Smith. Like, who would? So as I was leaving, I was thinking, well, it would be really interesting to be, what if you were a kid and didn't have that lifetime of skills to fall back on? What if you didn't have that awesome martial arts training or knew how to fire a firearm or any of that other stuff? And as I was thinking about that, the Paul Simon song, The Only Living Boy in New York, came on my iPod. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, like, wouldn't it be great to have this story about this kid who's lost in this giant New York City, who is literally the last of his kind trying to piece together a life for himself. And as I talked to Steve about this, we actually did, like our proof of concept was a going to be a zombie apocalypse story with, you know, one kid against the world of zombies. And As we got into thinking about that, we had thought, well, you know, zombies are kind of done. A lot of people do zombies. And this is like when Walking Dead was blowing off the charts and everybody's doing a zombie kind of thing. And we were like, well, what if it was different? What if instead of we're talking about piecing together a new life for himself, what if he's kind of like uh, an urban explorer? What if we've got this kid who literally goes to all of these different worlds, whether it's a flying insect world or an underground world or Uh, This crazy world filled with rats and broken subway elements, and made it feel alive, kind of like you would expect in something like Avatar, The Last Airbender, where she has to go through different spheres, or you know, um, any of these awesome, cool adventure stories like Treasure Island. And so we put together this this story that you know was reminiscent of all the things we wanted to read, but it was definitely, I mean, the biggest inspiration. Is I am Legend and the Omega Man, you know, Richard Matheson stories, um, and then everything else sort of grew out from there. It was like, well, what if it came from D D? It came from um, Steve's drawings of D but also as uh, role players. Like Steve and I both have, uh, I used to write, write for World of Darkness, and Steve used to illustrate for World of Darkness, the White Wolf games. So we were able to to bring that sense of world building and that sense of like being an awesome GM in some sort of cool tabletop game, we are able to bring a lot of that to what we were doing. So it was a tremendous amount of fun for us. So, I mean, I think our inspirations really end up being, you know, everything. Everything that we've experienced is in this book, whether it's me traveling a lot as a kid and going from, like, Hawaii to Georgia to Baltimore to England, or Steve, like, going to Iceland and traveling there. Uh, you know, all of those things and that geography and that landscape and those cultures all find their way into this book.
6: Yeah, speaking of world building, uh, I thought you guys did a really good job with it, just introducing all these different, uh, I guess, races. You know, you've got this big menacing doctor. Um, you've got Morgan, the Myrmidonian, that's right, yeah. And just a lot of really interesting characters that, uh, you know, there's fantasy. There's so many fantasy characters out there. And these still, you guys did a really good job of making these characters seem unique.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, like for us, uh, we wanted to make sure that every character had it their own. All the three major characters, Eric, Morgan, and Thea, we wanted to make sure that they had their own strengths. So if you guys have ever played, I'm sure you have. Did you guys ever play the Super Mario Brothers video games?
5: Oh Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Super
0: Mario, I think it was Super Mario Two, which is like the least liked of all the Super Mario Brothers the games. But for us, it was always my brothers and I. It was always the best one because every character had like their own meter. Uh, Like, so Mario was good at everything. And then Luigi was a better jumper, yep. but he was not so fast. And, and Princess could fly. And so everybody had, like, these scalable abilities. And so um, that's what we think of when we were putting this together. Is like Morgan's a better fighter, you know. And, and Eric's all around kind of average. And Thea's got more spirit because she's got more hidden power. And so it was nice to do all these cool things to, to, you know, use those as starting points for who the characters are and what their arcs are going to be down the line. I know you guys just read the first trade, but, you know, we run the series as a webcomic every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that people can, like, catch up even before the first books come out.
2: Where's that located at?
0: <laughs> you can find it at uh, theonlylivingboy.com. But you have to put hyphens between every word. Okay. Um, so it's uh, yeah. But yeah. So we run it there, and we also run it on different platforms, including Tumblr, um, and on Tapastic, T A P A S T I C, and you can check it out there. And we make it available for free. So yeah. So it's a lot of fun to um, to do that. We actually serialize all of our stories on Tapastic. So. People, readers can catch up to High Moon and and The Only Living Boy and Box 13 and read them all there completely for free. Because we want to, as creators, one of the things that's really important to us is, I mean, yes, we like money and paying our bills and keeping the lights on. But what we really like is we want people to be engaged readers. And we want to create that sense of uh, people reading our stories. It, It doesn't help us if we put it out there and it dies on the comic shelves. We, we want, what we want to do is create these super passionate, super engaged uh, readers who are able to check out our stuff and, and get um, a really good sense for the kind of storytellers we are and get a really good sense for, you know, what we like to tell in our stories, you know, and, and see how each of our stories, I mean, e- each of our stories are different, but they all tell stories of identity. They all tell stories of, they're all super action adventury, you know, so they're, it's a lot of fun to do them. It, it's a, you know, it's a, it's awesome to, to work with a collaborator who has as much energy and, and passion about the stories he's creating as Steve. Very cool. Very cool.
4: Okay. So I think I have one more question uh, for you. Since you were a part of you know, I guess the start of the digital age of comics. And now digital comics are growing quite rapidly. I mean, it's kind of crazy how fast everything's getting adapted onto it and people are putting it on that platform. How do you feel about the transition from paper to digital?
0: I, I You know, it's funny. I simultaneously love it and am challenged by it. The model that I think about digital for is – and. And this seems to sort of boggle people's minds when I tell them. And then I tell them and they're like, oh, that's so smart. I look at web comics and digital comics that are online as um, like a broadcast model. Like we, you and I, and, and most people watch television for a very low nominal fee. Every month we tune, on, tune in and watch The Flash or CSI or Law & Order, you know, and all this stuff is broadcast into our homes it's supported by ads, but it's still broadcast on our, like, we watch TV essentially for free or cheap, you know, very, very low entry point for, for what we watch. And, you know, so many places, whether it's Apple or Netflix or Hulu, make the barrier to get into these things really, really, really simple. So by having digital comics be on platforms that are easy for, people to get into it creates that passion um which is awesome and then converting that passion into dollars when you take the stuff you you've run online into into print that's always a challenge because you want to make sure that i mean you're never going to get the amount of readers so we have over a hundred thousand readers on uh, uh, across multiple platforms which is awesome um and We're supported by advertisers like Lego and um, Steve Jackson games and choose your own adventure and stuff like that. And they come in and uh, we work with great advertisers and we offer all our content for free. And so we're able to pay our bills that way. But what I like is that you're never able to get the numbers. We have 100,000, over 100,000 readers. You're never always going to be able to convert those into people who buy the content in print you know, and that's always a challenge. I love CSI. I love Law & Order, but I'm not necessarily somebody who um, will go out and buy the Law & Order box set of DVDs or Blu-rays. Um, so there's always a challenge in terms of trying to make that conversion between like super passionate online fan and actual purchaser of content. But there are different ways for them to engage and, and sort of spread the word and, and even though they might not necessarily have the money to buy those things or might not be interested in buying those things. You know, as long as they're spreading the word and constantly talking about what we're doing, that's always exciting for me. So that's sort of a challenge. I think an ongoing challenge, people want to know how they make money online and simultaneously <laughs> make money in print. And it, it's, I think we've found a good balance, but you know, it's still a, you know, it's, it's a challenge. But what I also like is that a lot more people are thinking about how to adapt digital comics into print format. With Box 13, we designed it both for print and for digital simultaneously. But I love seeing stuff like the, the model that Mark Wade is using on Thrillbent and some of the comics that are on Comixology and some of the comics that are on Tapastic starting to find their homes in print editions. And there might be irregularly sized formats, but I love seeing that people are putting a lot of thought into that. I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of getting it all, all the pieces right. But I think people are thinking about it more than they ever have before.
6: I'm sure you'll have the same answer as other people we've interviewed. But uh, what comics do you read in your spare time?
0: I read, this is going to sound weird. Uh, I go back and reread. A lot of old John Buscema comics, because he's one of my all-time favorite artists. He's somebody whose work I definitely admire. I love his storytelling, whether it's in Avengers, or whether it's in Fantastic Four, or whether it's in Conan the Barbarian, because he has this great sense of scale and scope that a lot of people don't necessarily... I mean, I read it for the stories, and usually it's a story by Roger Stern or or Roy Thomas and all that stuff's great. But what I love is the scale and scope of how he thinks about and how he quantifies the storytelling. That to me is, is remarkable. So I go back whenever there's an opportunity to buy a John Buscema comic. I'm like, Oh wait, is that John Buscema art? Oh my God, I, I've got to get this. So that for me is really great. Fabian Nicieza is one of my favorite comic writers. So I go back and look at his work, whether it's on new warriors, which is my all time favorite comic title the stuff he did on X Force, or the stuff he did with Deadpool, or uh, I look at some of that stuff because it hits the right notes for me. Uh, uh, in terms of what inspired me when I was younger, rekindles what inspires me now. And I'm not necessarily talking about it in a nostalgia kind of way. I don't have a lot of nostalgia for that stuff, but I do have a lot of I do have a lot of fascination with. How stories were told versus how they're being told today, I mean we used to have a lot of thought bubbles in the stuff we did, and we used to have a lot of captions in the work we did I and mean, you don't see those techniques used anymore, so I'm always fascinated with with that transition and how um, our modern age has adapted its storytelling to fit the needs of its current generation. but I still admire the techniques and and resources and tools that people used before. So I go back and look at old comics a lot, um, in, in both in order to understand the complexity of, of stories that they were being told, and also to understand sort of where I think modern stories are sort of lacking, in how they communicate storytelling ideas i that's i don't know if that's the same answer you get from other people
6: oh no we usually just get the answer that people don't have time or don't they're so they're working on comics so much they don't actually want to read them after they're done working so
0: no i mean i think there's a i mean i think it's important to always keep more stuff going like even though i don't keep up with a lot of modern comics i still like read stuff i love um the stuff that dc is doing with like rebirth. And I love the stuff that I'm seeing from like Batman 66 comic. I love these sort of art dance slots doing on silver surfer. I love this sort of like awesome pop art, y drive and desire to think about storytelling in a new way. And, and so often you see telling stories in continuity, but what I've come to really appreciate is these sort of more outlandish takes um, because I learn, even though I might not necessarily like it, I appreciate the desire and drive and need to tell a different type of interpretation of something. Mm-hmm.
6: Have you uh, been reading any image by any chance? Just yeah, speaking, you know, of, speaking of continuity and uh, creativity in the genre in general. Yeah,
0: so I really enjoyed the first issue of Snowfall uh, by George Harris. Uh, I thought that that was really spectacular. Um, Wicked and Divine is really, really good. It's uh, it's definitely not something that I would gravitate to normally, but I like the, I like the approach. It's I think it's very fresh. It doesn't necessarily hit all the emotional beats. It would if I at my age, but probably would if I were younger, but yeah, definitely following a lot of the image stuff. Uh, I think that they're definitely innovating. In ways that are unique and and sort of outstanding, um, I think creators feel a lot more emboldened um, by the opportunities to tell stories at Image and and to a degree at Oni and and Z two and other publishers like that. Um, and I love seeing that. And I like the idea that people, you know feel the need to communicate and we see so many more comics on the stands now and I love that opportunity of seeing more and more people com- communicating through words mm-hmm. and pictures and storytelling whether it's making fan comics on Tumblr or whether it's you know doing web comics or whether it's doing you know a book for Oni or a book for Image or a book for IDW I love seeing more com- people communicating in that language you know I think that as people we're creating by all this content we're creating this culture of people who read comics more, who comics are being taught in libraries and in universities. And, you know, when I was in school and I, I majored in comics and people were like, what, why, how did you major in comics? Like what? Yeah. But it was so foreign. And now you tell tell people like, Oh, we read Watchmen in English class. I'm like, Mm -hmm. aren't you so lucky? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And like I say, the comics, uh, whole, Industry now, there's like classes that you can take within all sorts of different areas of it now within college. Now, I'm talking with one guy right now trying to set up a class at a local college for uh, cosplay. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have had that, you know, five years ago, let alone two? It's like, really, it's so much of the comic industry is now found everywhere.
0: Right. And I love that aspect of it. And uh, what I want is more comics literacy. I want more people communicating in words and pictures. I mean, I, I've joked before I was at a panel yesterday and we were joking about how, like, I can't wait to see the first emoji comic, mm-hmm. you know, like the first yeah. comic that's just all emojis, you know, because people don't know, but when you're communicating in symbols like emojis, they, that's essentially like a, you put two emojis together. That's a comic. I mean, yeah. that's a weird thing to think about, but. How our cultural literacy has changed. How are uh, how symbolism has a new meaning in this modern internet age. I, mean, I think all that stuff's really cool, and I love thinking about how comics um, sort of facilitate that. Mm-hmm. So bring on more comics, I say. Yes,
5: <laughs> that's right.
0: Bring them on. Yeah. So you know, and I love that. Uh, I love that the Marvel movies and the DC shows have sort of o- lowered the barrier into understanding who these characters are. So um, you'll get people who have never read a Supergirl comic in their lives, you know, watching the show going like, I want to know more about Supergirl. Where, where do I start or watch Daredevil people yeah. who I would have never thought watched Daredevil, like never in a million years. they like, Oh yeah, I just binged on Daredevil. I was like, you were a jock in high school. How did you just binge on Daredevil? <laughs>
6: yeah. yeah. Or
0: people who watch The Walking Dead and and then also read the comic. Yeah. And like on or on the subway with this giant Walking Dead compendium. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, no. Those it's, are those are amazing things to me. It is. Yeah. No, it really truly isn't. So and that's what we're hoping to do. watch how I segue back into talking about me. Um What I love, though, is that what we're trying to do with The Only Living Boy is create that book that is that middle grade book, young adult middle grade book, that bridges the gap between those picture books and story books that kids like or those chapter books like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and, and sort of facilitate greater comic literacy so that you can bridge into a Vertigo book or you can bridge into an image book or you can bridge into a Marvel or DC book. Um, so we want, I mean, we want people of all ages to be able to read it, but simultaneously, we want to create that, that nice bridge that, that fosters uh, ongoing comic and cultural literacy. Yep, very cool, David. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's time to wrap everything up. We really appreciate your time, and thank you for coming on. Everybody out there, please pick up the Living Boy. You'll really enjoy it. It's a very, very enjoyable
0: read. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time.
3: Yeah. Thank you. It it was a
4: pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. everyone this is rusty surfer and you know what time it is it's time for those reviews okay and uh, we've each pulled something out of our personal collection or just something that we've read recently and now let's talk about it a little more so i have all of you here with me which one of you wants to go first i'm gonna let it leave it open right now who's going first today don't everyone jump at one time first (laughs) how about i go first okay (laughs) since everyone didn't want to jump at one time lead the charge
6: man lead the charge all right
4: all right, so the issue that I have today is an issue that's kind of been making its round on the internet, I guess. Like, I've seen it pop up in a few different places. I've seen it pop up in a few different line rooms. I've talked about this issue lately, but um, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 25, it's the Jim Valentino issue with Galactus on the cover. It's pretty, It's a, I guess it's a pretty memorable cover, but Jim Valentino in this, he did the writing and the penciling for it so it's interesting i think he might have done the inking for it too but yeah he like did it all this is like a one-man band comic basically right now this issue and um like i said it has galactus on the cover super cool issue only thing that gets me in it is um is the silver surfer in it but uh we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute um The issue, I mean, it starts out with, like, you know, this perilous thing going on to where, uh, you know, Galactus is going to eat some planet, as usual. And even his own Herald Fire Lord is against him in this situation. But all of the original lineup for the Guardians of the Galaxy is there. I don't know if y'all are very familiar with the original lineup for the Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's, like, Major Victory, like, uh, Charlie, Yondu, Talon, um... Uh, I always forget the girl with the with the flame head. I don't, I don't re- I don't remember her name. And then there's like this other space character. And I'm as you can tell, I'm not super versed in the original Guardians of the Galaxy lineup. This was actually my first Guardians of the Galaxy issue I've read that was before probably 2011. I mean, I I don't have either any of y'all ever read any Guardians of the Galaxy before you know the the
3: lineup from the movie? I have not no. My no. introduction has all been based no. off of stuff
2: off of the Nova series for the most part and cameos, that kinds of stuff.
4: It's pretty cool. I like this lineup a little bit more, I guess. Than the than It seems like this is more like a ragtag team rather than just let's throw a bunch of people kind of thing together.
6: Yeah. Well, Guardians 3000 had this lineup, right? Did you I read that? I think so. Away? No, I didn't. Or a similar lineup, at least. Okay.
4: Well, that's cool then. Well, I... Like I was saying, it's an interesting group. And this group is just set out in this whole issue. Like I said, I had no previous knowledge before or after this to uh, stop Galactus from eating a planet, basically. And um, it's a planet that Yondu has a tie with. And um, basically, they are trying to move, you get the Silver Surfer, who is not called the Silver Surfer in this. He's called the Keeper. He doesn't have a board, and he has the quantum bands of all things. Mm. Now, I don't know if you want to say that's overpowered as hell, but that's pretty overpowered as hell. That is overpowered. Yeah, you know what I mean? I have Power Cosmic, and I have quantum bands from Quasar. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it seems totally uh, sensible that anything's going to stop Silver Surfer right now, right? No. Not at all. Um, so it gave some backstory on how he got the quantum bands in this. It said that he was cast out by Galactus and stripped of his silver, and he was flicked into space, basically. But he was wearing the quantum bands. Where he got the quantum bands, I have no idea. Um, but he was flicked into space. Um, he was pulled out of eternity by a Watcher as he was dying in space because he couldn't really, like, keep himself warmer. And he was, like, the, the vastness of sp- space, the silver wasn't there to protect him. And so uh, he pulls him out. He trains him to the peak of how to use the quantum bands and then somehow the Silver Surfer realizes the power cosmic is inside him and and, uh, Mm. like a Disney movie and he (laughs) releases it basically. And um, he loses his board because Galactus destroys it and he becomes the keeper. He's not the Silver Surfer in this. He is the keeper and he has like a red sash. It's kind of weird. He's got an interesting fashion choice. But um, he silvers up again. They uh, relocate the people off the planet and um, to Yondu's original home planet. And in the end, they kind of reach a compromise. Like, it's kind of like Silver Surfer becomes Galactus' Herald again. It's the yin to the yang. And uh, But he... You, you'll have to read the end of it. I don't want to give the whole thing away, even though, you know, I'm usually notorious of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, this is one that you really have to read to kind of understand because there's so much thing going, things going on and there's so much like little asterisks <clears throat> to back issues and everything else. But it was a really solid read. The art was really, really good in it. And I really had to applaud Valentino for doing basically everything in this book. It was pretty spot on. Fire Lord fighting with uh, Silver Surfer to defeat Galactus. Pretty cool.
2: Is this the one, it sounds familiar, I want to say, I've read this before, something with like Alpha Centauri planet.
4: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Okay. Um, I think yeah. I
2: remember this now.
4: Yeah, there's, uh, they they try to like save this planet or whatever, and like I said, Yondu has ties to it. And it's mm-hmm. in the Alpha Centauri, it's like the third planet in Alpha Centauri or something like mm-hmm. that. And um, one of the coolest things about it, I'll say, and I just want to mention this real fast, is that they're like looking at the planet from a distance. Then all of a sudden they say their view's obstructed. And when they go to figure out what's obstructing the view, it's, it's Galactus' ship. And it's so big that it covers half the universe, the view of the universe. And oh from there, God. like, yeah. And it's just ridiculous how big they talk about it being. And it even goes as far as Charlie grab, like, on the cover you see him holding this giant gun. Charlie grab rips, like, one of the, like, turrets off of the ship and shoots Galactus with it. And Galactus is, like, basically just turns around and is like, what? What was that? Is that a fly? And just kind of flicks it away. And, like, that's Galactus' main form of combat in all this. And it really shows how strong Galactus is. Because almost everybody he defeats in this, he kind of just flicks them. And they go flying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a very cool issue, though. But um, yeah, if Same. there's no comments on this, y'all have any comments on this?
6: Um. Well, okay. So I just I just googled the issue, and um, so this okay, this Guardians of the Galaxy team is from the 31st century. Is that right? Because that's what it yeah, says. Yeah, it says here. 31st century. Yep. Okay, so I guess it, 600 Guardians years or 3,000. So I guess um, Silver Surfer just decides he's he's not strong enough or something. I don't know. That's crazy. Just you don't want to mess with the keeper, man.
4: You don't want to mess with the keeper, and uh, he's got stylish uh, red sash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I I, like I said, that just seems like way too overkill for Norrin Rad. Hey man,
6: Galactus' ship covers half a universe now.
4: Yeah, at this point in time, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how you get that much. (laughs) all right well
6: since nova you were the last one talking let's hear what you got for us (laughs) well um uh no image this week i'm gonna talk about a very enjoyable dc comic that i'm sure most of you have read at least people listening i know rusty hasn't because rusty just doesn't give a doesn't give a (laughs) damn about dc (laughs) comics but uh, i'm gonna talk about the killing joke Oh cool. And like I said, most people have read this, so uh just sort of, you know, f- flashback to the past. Plus, there is the animated movie coming out soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a uh original graphic novel written by Alan Moore with artwork by uh Brian Bolland. Bolland, uh who's just amazing. His artwork is so good. And yeah, it's it it was a story that wasn't meant to be part of continuity, but sort of has been taken as continuity. And there's just it, the the first two times I read it, I wasn't too big into it, uh, but this last time I read it, it just, it, it blew my mind because I realized something I hadn't before. So the story is really, really nothing happens in terms of, you know, the way Rusty explains a Guardians of the Galaxy issue. It seems like there's just an insane amount of stuff happening. But it's basically a Joker story where Joker's uh, escaped from Arkham yet again, of course, and it has these, really graphic and really uh controversial scenes first of all a lot of us know barbara gordon as oracle in her wheelchair and this is basically where that happened uh again maybe you guys can agree with me or disagree there's that memorable scene where you know she opens the door and you see joker there in his tropical outfit with the gun pointed at her shoots her she goes it just really so well done the art is just spectacular I don't know who read. Have you read this? Uh, I yes. Like I said, I know Rusty hasn't. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. And, you know, we see we see sort of an origin story of the Joker as well, which hasn't really been taken as canon. There, you know, he's sort of this like failing comedian. Um, and one day his, he, he's going to do a job to make a lot of money and get away from it all because he's broke and stuff. But while this is happening, Jim Gordon's taken, kidnapped by the Joker and his little, like, midget minions. And, again, another controversial scene. They strip him naked and put him through, like, this carnival ride where he's seeing the pictures of, you know, what the Joker did to to Barbara after he shot her. And it's just really, it's scary. It's, like, it's a really good Joker story, you know. He's sort of going all out and pulling all the stops. And, uh, yeah, you know, obviously Batman confronts him, gets him, stops him. But the first two times I read it, the ending kind of disappointed me. And for the, you know, the three of us here that have read it, um, what Alan Moore did is just incredible. He sort of created, he wrote the last Batman and Joker story, but he also wrote a story that they were able to use in continuity. Because the last page, the last two or three pages... Uh, the Joker basically tells Batman a joke, and it shows them all laughing, both of them, uh, as the cops arrive. So the first few times I read it, and I was like, that's all right, I guess. I mean, it's a bit weird, but this third time I read it, there's a panel where... Sorry, I'm spoiling this. I mean, it's been like 20 years, 20 plus years. Yeah, if
3: they haven't read it yet, yeah, that's wrong. own fault.
6: Yeah, <Damn> and <laughs> there's a panel where uh, Batman and Joker are laughing, and you just see... Batman sort of put his arms around Joker. Like, you know how you like lean on someone on their shoulders when you're laughing or some- something like that? But what you notice is when he puts his arms around on Joker's neck or on his shoulders, um, the laughing stops abruptly. So in a sense, Alan Moore wrote the last Batman and Joker story because you can interpret it as Batman just snapped his neck like he's done. And it was the killing joke. Joker told a joke and it was the killing joke. But at the same time, you can just think of it as, you know, they were laughing there and the cops arrived. So we can put this in continuity, which DC did. But that just blew my mind. The third time I read it, I was like, no way. He puts his hands there and then the the laughing just stops. So I thought that was really cool. Um, It was a really, you know, good buildup. And then the ending is just um, crazy. I know know a lot of people that I've talked to uh, since I read that or sort of interpreted it that way. Had no idea, and I don't know if you guys did. If you uh, took that as Batman snapping Joker's neck or not,
3: I didn't until you just now said no, something. No, I never put a
2: thought
6: into it.
3: But now that now that you point that out, and I look back, I'm like, huh? Because I mean, yeah. it was supposed to. It wasn't originally supposed to be continuity. It originally right. was supposed to be just a graphic novel, its own thing. So when writing that, he very well could have said Batman snaps his neck, and you know, it's just a, it's a one it's a, it's a one shot. It's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I I like that though. That is kind of sneaky. And Things to
6: ponder and go. Hmm.
3: Hopefully someday one of us meet him and we can ask about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll
6: oh, get him on the show. He hates it. He will not talk. I'm pretty sure he will tell you to leave. <laughs> Alan Moore hates anything DC related, and he he never wanted to. He just he he regrets writing the story, from what I've heard.
3: I know he did like the Watchmen. Like, he was very protective of the Watchmen. I'd heard yeah. that. I didn't know anything about the Killing Joke though.
6: He just he doesn't like it. He wishes he hadn't ridden it. But yeah, um, I'm is so gonna crazy
3: because it's such an amazing story.
6: I know, I know. But uh, I'm gonna pass the torch on to the one and only Red Skull.
2: All right. Well, of course, I'm bringing to you some image today. <coughs> no, not yep. uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, in particular, I had read issue one of the Goddamned. Uh, this came out in. November of 2015 by Jason Aaron. It's only up to three issues right now. Uh, first issue, I guess, that came out in November. Then the next one, December. Then the third issue didn't come out until recently in February of 2016. So it's a slow-moving title. Uh, we're gonna, I don't know what's going on with it. If it just didn't pick up enough uh, readers for them to continue it on or whatnot, we shall see. But the first issue, I can kind of understand that it is... I can't say I liked it. I can't say I hated it. It was just like yep. okay.
6: Yeah.
2: So no no I'm understanding you read this already.
6: Right? I, I own that issue, yeah. yeah. Okay,
2: all right. So for those that aren't familiar with it, it basically, you know, starts off one thousand six hundred years after Eden. And it starts off with got a, a young boy on the top of a cliff peeing into a wasteland area with uh, rotting corpses and bones and basically we find out that it's basically the the urinal of the area <laughs>
7: okay
2: yeah and while he's peeing um it turns out he's peeing on some guy and oh. he gets up out of the sewage and they butt naked of course and starts walking away and he's like you know what is this place called where am i
3: r kelly's and, closet yeah no do, but. it
2: and the little kid's like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to this town. And he's like, you know, you don't want to go there. So he goes there anyways and basically kills everybody in the town and gets himself some clothes off of somebody that he kills. And there's a lot of, page, a lot of pages of just brutal fight scenes. There's not much dialogue, just a lot of fighting. And finally, as we go through it, we understand that this is Cain. As in Cain and Abel, the the, the you know the sons mm-hmm. of Adam and Eve, and from there, it just basically, you know, he's been alive for sixteen hundred years as punishment for killing his brother, and he's cursed God in every way he could, personally and behind his back, and from there, the story basically leads into you know the little boy being captured by a a band of people led by Noah. And that's where the issue leaves off at. Like I say not much dialogue, not much writing or storytelling. It was mostly one of those books where the visual tells the story. And so again, like I said, it was one thing, it was, I can't say I liked it, can't say I didn't like it. The art was mediocre at best, I won't lie. Uh, That was brought to us by Julia Brusco, if I'm, Mispronouncing that name, <laughs> but uh, what Nova, what were your thoughts on this issue?
6: Uh, yeah, I sort of felt the same way. Where at the end, I mean, it's only one issue, but at the same time, I guess I just expect too much from Jason Aaron at this point, mm-hmm. but yeah, the artist, um, the artist, or at least one of the artists, I guess. R.M. Guerra, I think I'm probably butchering. that. Yes,
2: R.M. G- yes, that, but yes. he,
6: him, and Jason Aaron did scalp together, and his artwork in Scalped was much better than it was in the goddamn. In my opinion, anyway, uh, you know, it could have been the inking or something that um, screwed wrong. him over. It, yeah,
2: yeah, it, it, it's hard to say. But like I said, this isn't
6: the best
2: from what I from what I've seen him from in the past. It just, yeah. Yeah. It just—it was just off, and I think maybe that's why it hasn't built the momentum like it should have, and why it's the first issues—you know, only three issues deep into the series, but yet already what—it's almost six months now.
6: Yep. So, I yeah. So to... yeah, and I mean, again, like I said, after reading something like Southern Bastards, which after one issue, I was just—I couldn't stop; I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. Yes uh this definitely did not have the same impact at all. No.
2: No, not at all and I don't have a. I, I just don't have a strong feeling that this is going to be continuing on but I had to get it, it was in the dollar bin. <laughs> you know for well, obvious reasons and I had to enough, give it a it try. You know it, after all it is uh Jason Aaron so but that is my book for this week. So tap what you got.
3: So uh, as everyone knows, I was at Planet Comic Con this weekend, and I ran into an artist by the name of Daniel uh, Leister, who did the art on Hackslash and uh, the Wonderland series: The Return to Wonderland, Beyond Wonderland, Escape from Wonderland. And while talking with him, I wasn't super familiar with his work, so I went back uh, that night to my hotel room and I downloaded Return to Wonderland on Comixology. And I read the entire, like five or six issues, whatever it was. Um, and so that's what I'm going to review is Return to Wonderland by Xenoscope. and the artist, or the I'm sorry, the writer um, was the name Gregory Raven was the name of the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Raven Gregory was the name of the writer. And then uh, Al Rio did the first two issues of uh, Return to Wonderland, and then Daniel Leisner took over the rest and complete continued to be basically uh raven gregory's artist going forward um so return to wonderland is a very interesting and very adult oriented book this is not meant for children in any way shape or form so if your kids say hey i want to get this wonderland book and you think oh it's alice no please do not buy this for your children um basically what happens is is alice comes back from wonderland as we all know um you know she returns from wonderland only she doesn't really return her normal self um years go by she grows up she has a family but she also becomes very depressed and kind of goes insane so to speak and tries to commit suicide and ends up in a hospital um, where at the time her, and she's kind of in and out of the psych ward her daughter finds her the first time her name is Callie uh, She at the time she was probably like 12-ish or so in the book um, but by the time we actually get to meet Callie as the main character uh, she's now closer to like 18 17, 18, something like that so some years go by and there's her mom's in and out of the psych ward and there's a lot of darkness brewing especially at home Turns out the dad's been cheating on his, on his wife and the daughter, or the son, she has a brother, or Alice has a son, Callie has a brother, uh, he sees it and you kind of get a glimpse of him and his insight and he's very serial killer-ish, I guess you could say, like there's a lot of things that definitely hint at the fact that he's, he's, he's a dark individual. And uh, the art in it is absolutely amazing. Um, Al Rios did a really good job, but I have to say I did like Daniel Leister's artwork even more when he came on to the book. Uh, the, vo- the book was very, very visual, um, which is awesome. If you're a fan of horror, um, this is definitely a book for you. Uh, it's it's absolutely phenomenal from a from a horror fantasy standpoint. If that's not your thing, don't check it out because you're not going to like it, I can guarantee it. Uh, so yeah, basically in the end, we're kind of in this first arc of the three as, uh, Kelly ends up going to Wonderland by accident, the white rabbit, uh, kind of, she follows the white rabbit and ends up in Wonderland. Only Wonderland isn't the place that we all know. It's not, you know, uh, Lewis Carroll's world. Okay. It's very much a darkened version of it. Where you know the Mad Hatter's a little rapey, um, rapey, yeah, none rapey. The, that's the best word that you could use, rapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a dark, it's a dark book, man. I'm not gonna lie, it is a very dark you, book. You said
6: that right away. It's not
8: for kids. So. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not.
3: It's not meant for children. Disclaimer right there. But yeah, so you have the Mad Hatter's kind of an interesting individual. Um, you know, you have the the red queen you have the the heart guards and the spades and the clubs and stuff and it's just really well done and like the white rabbit he's not like a white fluffy looking rabbit he looks like a white rabbit with like devil red eyes but then he also has like sores and like lesions and stuff all over him and he looks kind of like decrepit it almost looks like something that Todd McFarlane would have done for the Twisted Land of Oz um action figure series if you remember those think back to that that's kind of has the same sort of feel it's very grotesque uh but awesome all at the same time uh so callie basically ends up in wonderland she does the whole eat me drink me thing you know the whole uh kit and caboodle there but her mom alice um in the real world i guess you could say our world um did end up committing suicide and is now dead uh, she hung herself cause the rabbit ran away and it was weird thing. Not too much of a spoiler there, but turns out Alice is actually still trapped like her spirit or whatever you want to call it. They haven't really revealed what it is yet. I'm assuming it's like her spirit is trapped in this darkened wonderland. And she's trying to save Callie and get Callie out of there. So the same thing doesn't happen to Callie that happened to Alice. And, uh, so needless to say, Callie towards the end of this arc, Callie gets out of Wonderland, um, and there's, you know, the mirror, and, uh, her brother is somewhat of a killer, and, uh, actually murders their dad very, very brutally, uh, because he caught his dad cheating on his mom. And so, in order to save her brother, but without hurting him i guess she kind of can and she has has to be a sacrifice because it's like this family's curse she kind of throws her brother into wonderland and traps him in wonderland and thinks like oh he'll never escape he'll never get out and then sort of the last page that like leads into the next arc which i'm actually gonna read tonight i'm very excited is uh him kind of standing there with like this real creepy monster behind him and all of a sudden his eyes look kind of like demonish. So, obviously her brother wasn't quote-unquote sacrificed and uh, is embracing the dark in Wonderland is kind of the vibe you get. So, I'm very excited to continue to read it. Um, so, the first arc is Return to Wonderland. The second arc is uh, Beyond Wonderland. And then the third arc is Escape from Wonderland. Uh, all written by Raven Gregory. And after like the third or so issue, all the art is done by Daniel Leister. and the coloring is actually done by Nay Rufino. So uh, it's a, it's an amazing, gorgeous book. If you're into horror and you're into that sort of thing, I strongly recommend checking it out. It it kind of blew me away, and I'm very excited to read the second arc uh, tonight. So that's what I got from Xenoscope. Very cool.
6: Awesome. We're, we're- Poor kids, they're going to walk into comic stores and see I Hate Fairyland, this thing now, <laughs> like yeah, perversions of what they want.
3: Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin their childhoods for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I, I love horror. I'm into that kind of thing. Um, anything supernatural, <laughs> ghosty, horror, that kind of uh, it's definitely up my alley. Um, and so, it was an honor meeting Daniel Leister and because i met him i went and read the book and i'm blown away i'm excited to do more and hopefully we can get him on the show uh, in the next few months very cool all mm. right well i guess that is going to conclude our reviews today and
4: now let's go into something a little bit different
3: a little bit
9: different right. <laughs> game <All
6: right>. on <laughs>
4: Hello, everyone. You heard the music, so I think you remember what time it is. But it's just going to be howdy me. duty time. It's howdy duty time, right? <laughs> no, it's uh, me and Red School pulling some ads again, like old times. Just the two of us, and welcome back.
2: This takes me back to a year ago when we first started this, just the two of us pulling out some issues and having some good laughs.
4: Well, back then, we were the only ones that owned physical comic books. (laughs) I I think Nova has a a half a dozen now. I know. I think Taps has gotten a few, too. Um, You know what's crazy is even David back then. I think he has comics now. He was texting me the other day. We started a trend. What is that? People are buying comic books i know right oh well don't you feel proud i know right let me just shed a tear real fast for my baby over here
2: (laughs) so i gotta ask you what comic did you pull out of your box today
4: okay so i bought this with intent for our friend Deary. he's been on the show before and um long ago he did me a favor so i thought i was gonna return the favor to him um this is the avengers from their original series number 56 this is the issue right before the first appearance of vision like Mm. yeah it's cool even in the back of the book it's like stay tuned behold the vision it's just like what is that the only thing is is this issue is pretty rough like you could tell it seen it's seen some days yeah yeah like the pages are getting pretty dang brittle i don't know like i keep feeling like it's gonna rip and um Time to
2: ship it off to Matt Nelson for a little restoration repair.
4: All right, exactly. Uh, He needs to to help me out with something. CGC, please come to the rescue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, going through this, you know, it's your stereotypical book from, uh, what is it, 1968. And it has a lot of those paid advertisements in it.
2: Oh, don't you just love those things? Yeah,
4: like, you know, it's like a classifieds, basically, yeah. of different things.
2: Send your music and get it turned into a poem.
4: Exactly, right? They want your poetry so they can make big bucks. But yeah. one of the things I found in here, and one, there, there's two different, you know, there's that page that has, like, Stan's Soapbox, and it has, like, all the yep. editor. the bullpen is what they called it in the 90s yep. and stuff. Yep,
2: the bullpen. You gotta okay. love Stan's Soapbox.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's great stuff. But, I mean, on the opposite page of it, there is a half-page ad that says, I'll make you a master of karate. Ooh. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. How much is it going to cost me? Only 99 cents. 99 cents. All right. Plus, post a stamp. I'm on it. Exactly. In just two hours after you receive Super Karate, you will be on your way to being an invincible karate master at home. This fast, easy way, or it costs you nothing.
2: Ah, rusty son, I think I'll send away for that.
4: Yes. And it's the karate you can disarm and disable two, three, even four attackers
2: with. Ooh. Of course they don't tell you that the attackers have to be midgets or less.
4: Right? <laughs> <laughs> they have to be very... Small, skinny people, or it's got to be... The thing that gets me is over in the corner, for only 99 more cent, you can get a giant lifelike karate practice dummy. Oh, how convenient was that? I know, right? And it has all the numbers. It's labeled with numbers, so you can figure out all the attack points from your pamphlet you're going to get that's going to teach you to be a karate master. But get this. It's not really like a dummy. It's like a thing you stick on your wall, like a poster. And so you'll fight the wall, and you'll learn the areas you need to attack.
2: There you go. Put a couple holes in the walls. (laughs) Your parents won't mind.
4: Not at (laughs) all. I'm sure they won't mind when you're punching the wall in the middle of the night either, right? So I got to ask. So with
2: those two ads next to each other, do they both have the same shipping address?
4: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Um, (laughs) Whoa, my gosh. Okay. And uh get this. it's in uh, New York, New York. go figure. and mm-hmm. there's a special money saving combination offer with it uh under the ad, okay? <laughs> For a dollar ninety eight you can get both of them, but they're already 99 cent each. Ugh. so it's <laughs> like, really? That's fun.
2: You got you gotta love those ads. In fact, I'm looking at one right now, and it's a and that you know when you're talking here, it's like the new China, the amazing Chinese yo-yo. It uh, works without string. It's in a dollar twenty-five. A yo-yo that works without string. You
4: ever really? heard of a Chinese yo-yo? No. Okay, it's like a uh, finger trap kind of, but it's like in a cone, and so whenever you grab the end of it and you flick it out like this. It'll like go outward and then come oh, back. Oh, I know
2: those things. So, yeah. so those are called Chinese yo-yos? Yeah. I didn't know that's what the official name was. Yeah, before. it
4: like it just, just like it's like a it's made out of the same stuff that usually a finger craft yeah. made out yeah, of you, woven you, you, fl- stuff. you
2: hold the you hold the the popsicle stick, you flick it and and it
4: shoots out and then it comes back. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's just wrapped around the stick okay. basically. Oh, yeah, those to. I know. Those yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a Chinese yo-yo.
2: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. well, I learned something today. Look
4: at there that. There you go. So, What do you got for me besides your Mr. Chinese yo-yo over here? Yeah. Well, just like you, I have got a special issue that
2: I bought for a special certain someone. This is the uh, Star Wars issue number 42, um, dated back to
4: 1980. Ooh, that's a cool
2: issue. It is because it's the first appearance of Boba Fett in comic
4: books. The Man.
2: Yes, and I bought this one special for me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it, hey, is Fett your favorite character in Star Wars?
2: You know what? I won't lie. My favorite one is still and always will be Luke Skywalker.
4: Skywalker's dope. He's a cool you guy. Know,
2: because, you know, I remember watching, you know, Star Wars and the big screen when I was young and all, all, of, all of the movies, you know, in the theater. And, you know, when you're a little boy, Luke Skywalker was just, you know, the man. He, he was it, you know the guy that every kid wanted to be right so i grew up loving luke and it never went away i like him
4: that's that's the thing with me i've always been a Fett fan but um out of all the jedi luke's always been my favorite like honestly he's been the best and i mean as i got older you know as you get older you like to start to like the villains a little more and stuff like vader he is so cool you know he is but I, I, growing up, when you're a little kid, and you're like, yeah, good guys, uh, Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker was the bee's knees.
2: Yeah, then when you start with getting older, becoming a teenager, you know, a little bit more rebellious, it's like, oh, yeah, the bad guys now. You know? I'm I'm going to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to move to the dark side on things. But uh, anyways, I found there's an ad in here, um, in the back, very back um, page, and... I just got a, a huge kick out of it. It, really, it just really struck me funny. And it's called... It's like basically in a comic strip style called The Saga of Johnny West. And it starts off, it shows this cowboy sitting on um, a little uh, wooden fence, a little corral. And the captioning, is like, Johnny West wearing his Acme boots. Keeps an eye out for kids in trouble. And one day after school... And it shows Johnny West, you know, walking the streets in front of like a saloon. There's a horse tied up and these two kids are, you know, confronting each other. He's like, looks like a job for Johnny West. And this kid's like, scram, I'm borrowing your horse. (laughs) And this other, the the poor little, poor kid who's who's the owner of the horse is like, gee, Johnny West, I wish I could stand up to trouble like you do. Johnny's like, you can by standing proud in Acme boots as he hands the kid a pair of boots. (laughs) yeah he puts them on and Johnny's like you bet Acme makes the great western boots and the kid's like wow Acme boots and then the next panel shows that bully stomping away you know the next day it's a different story and the guy the kid's like wow did you scare that big creep off and the other kid is like wow thanks Johnny West and Johnny's walking off into the sunset Acme wins again
4: (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, dude!
2: <laughs> I know, just like oh my gosh, this advertising for young kids that cowboy boots will stop all your problems and get rid of bullies, and
4: you can have a horse, you yeah, can, and have you a could, horse. You can tell some guy to get off, scram.
2: Mm, yeah, and it, 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 I it, like I said, it just I just found it whole whole thing ridiculously funny, just gearing this. You know, straight to young kids that boots are going to take away all your problems in life. Is,
4: is it Acme, like ACME, like Acme yep. Brick Company?
2: Yep. Like Looney Tunes, Acme, Acme you know, ACME. Yeah.
4: That's so crazy. Okay. Back in my hometown, there was an actual Acme Brick Company. Oh. Huh. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs>
7: yeah.
2: Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of different Acme companies back in the day. And I yeah. swear, it, it all comes straight back from Looney Tunes, in my opinion.
4: think so? Yeah. It's like capitalized off the name, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's what it was. Because, you know, Looney Tunes, a lot of that stuff started in the late 50s. Yep. And I can't remember any company going back that far with that name until Looney Tunes came out.
4: Huh. That's crazy. But I
2: remember it was so funny. It's like, you you know, Looney Tunes has... You know, the acme for all of their the shipping companies right. and all that
4: stuff. It's acme everything.
2: You, yeah. Now in the old G.I. Joe comic book series, the acme for them was Arbok. A
4: okay. R B O C. And it's Cobra backwards.
2: Exactly. Yeah. 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 I always thought that was just a really cool little kick how they did that. Yeah. But every moving truck or every, you know, package that was delivered, Arbok. that's crazy do you have any cool honorable mentions in your issue
4: (laughs) um actually yeah like there's like another full page spread in this and um one of the things in it that i'm just i don't understand exactly because it says send today for a free booklet okay voice power and personal power by eugene i can't even say the last name Just send your name, address, age, mailed in plain, right? But Uh the main title, like the letters, the the main thing at the headline at the top is You Can Have a He-Man Voice. Uh. And it's like, wait, By the
10: power of Grayskull.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, no obligation, right, today, the Perfect Voice Institute. So you write them, and they send you a free pamphlet. And I guess it makes you a motivational speaker? No. I don't exactly know what they're selling. in the, or They're not selling anything. It's free. I don't know what they're giving away. I don't know if it's motivational speaking or if they're teaching me how to be more confident. I guess more confidence, Maybe. Thing. But uh, there's that. And then there's free 1001 things free. I don't know if you've ever seen this ad before. Have you? No, I haven't. Okay. It's a list that tells you Where to send for free samples, books, foreign stamps, coins, maps, show tickets, toys, films, posters, etc. They're yours for the asking. Hundreds of dollars worth of free offers. 50 cent for three lists. Or, no. One for 50 cent or three lists for only a dollar. So basically they compiled like a bunch of sample places and we're like ask them for free stuff
2: yeah hmm.
4: that's kind of cool actually that is it's like a like an older coupon book basically
2: yeah basically yeah yeah that sounds about right
4: oh i mean that might be pretty damn useful if you uh you ask me but well, i don't understand these are all in new york like almost every advertisement in here is like new york yeah. Oh, there's a few that are like chicago Yeah. What what honorable mention you got for me?
2: Well, I have... I'm going to kind of combine them a little bit. I have one page that has... Remember, this is uh, for December of 1980. Uh Uh-huh. One page will give you the NBC Saturday morning lineup. Okay. And then we have another page that gives you the ABC Saturday morning lineup. Okay. So we have NBC and ABC, the two of the biggest uh, networks out of the three. And... I remember I was watching cartoons in the 80s, in 1980, and I don't remember this cartoon, but it's a new show, and you have to forgive me here, the, the print in here kind of blurred together from the inking, but then but it's something like, Then you see me and the Happy Days gang travel to different places in a time machine. It really gets wild. And it shows, you know, the Fawns and Richie and some dog and... I'm not sure who the other characters are, but basically the cast of Happy Days travels through time in a time machine going to different places. Sunday,
4: Monday, Happy happy Days. days. Yeah,
2: well, yeah. Not Not just Sunday and Monday now. It's like who knows what year it's going to be. So I I thought that one was kind of cool. But on the flip side for NBC Saturday mornings, there's one I just don't remember either. and It's uh, the Godzilla Dynamut Hour. Where Godzilla and Dynamut, Dynamut the Wonder Dog, go on adventures together. Okay. Yeah, that's just one I just don't remember.
4: Dinomutt.
2: You know, know, you got your Dynamut. typical ones in here. You know, Space Ghost, Astro and the Space Dog, Teen Force, the Jetsons, Flintstones, Richie Rich, uh, Plastic Man. Plastic uh, Man. Yep. And with his plastic baby. That cartoon was nice So the Super Friends Hour. scooby doo But yeah, it was just those two especially the Happy Days one. I got a kick out of that. I want to do some research on that now. That's cool. Yeah. But that's all I got.
4: That's all I got too, man. Alright. Yeah. Well, I guess that's gonna be it for this pulling ad. You gotta come back next month for the next one, right? Yep. Yep, it's not gonna Another be month. until June. Yeah. You know? But we will return. Till next time. Just wait, it's going to be a month. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, this is Red and I was just recently
3: at the Tidewater Comic-Con in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And this is Tap and I was just at Planet Comic-Con in Kansas City.
2: And here are some of the interviews that the two of us had knocked out this last weekend. Enjoy. All right, this is the Red Skull here, here at Tidewater Comic-Con with none other than Steve Bloom. Steve, welcome. The Red Skull,
11: I know that guy.
2: Yes, you do. Yes, I do. You're one of my favorite uh, voices that you do. You're uh, a busy man in the industry. I
11: try to be, yeah. <laughs> you try to try.
2: <laughs> try to I mean, you made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. Mm. What is that, 2015? 2012.
11: 2012. 2012. But I have to keep... Uh, checking in with them every year just do to make you? sure, yeah, they, I, well the funny thing was I, I didn't keep track of any of that stuff anyway and it took me about four months going over my IMDB with my agent to figure out what shows I was in and which ones I wasn't. Oh wow. Yeah, I just, I don't pay attention to that right. stuff.
2: So do you have an idea of how many you're up to now? Uh, somewhere
11: around 350 games. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, I, I got the award for quantity rather than quality. <laughs>
2: well, that'll be the next award, right? It's something like <laughs> yes. that. I hope. <laughs> well, I really 2017, hope. that'll be your year for exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs>
11: yeah, maybe I'll do something worthwhile. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot of stuff
2: worthwhile. I mean, I've, i mean, you've done so much stuff. Um, what I wanted to know was when people design these characters, do they just, des- do some of them get designed around your voice? Do you get any input around that?
11: Generally not. I okay. mean, there are some characters that I've been hired. Uh, based on past work, and they uh-huh. know my voice. Uh, Megas XLR was mm-hmm. an example. Uh, Tom from Toonami was—they hired me because of Cowboy Bebop. Yes. Those kinds of things. But as far as designing my character around the voice, I'm not sure that that really happens no. unless they uh, take video of me while okay. I'm working, yeah. and some of my mannerisms will slip mm-hmm. in, into it.
2: Because it almost it's, seems like Zeb, for an example, that yeah. that that's worked around your voice a lot.
11: Yeah, Zeb. They record us uh, before they animate, so okay. they do have cameras in the oh. room. And so a lot of the facial expressions are actually mine. A lot of the movements and bad habits are the ones that they pick up. Well, that is really cool. Yeah, Disney is great about that. Uh, They they love to to have some sort of reference material, and the the animators actually use all of it. It's, it's, It's actually rare that they'll use every nuance that we give them. That's one example of a show where they do. So it's refreshing and wonderful to see yeah, that. Happen. That is that is wonderful. Yeah. Now, do
2: you have any upcoming projects or anything that uh, you would like to talk about?
11: Uh, well, Star Wars Rebels is the big thing I'm working on right now. Um, I'm also doing Toonami every week, still, mm-hmm. for Cartoon Network. Adult Swim. Uh, that's on every Saturday night. Uh, and then I'm doing a ton of video games that I'm not allowed to talk about Understood. right now. Understood. Uh, lots of recurring characters on regular show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Transformers Rescue Bots is, is airing a season right now, and the sh- we, we stopped recording that show but it is still going so I hope people are still watching
2: well I hope one of those secret projects is Wolverine again <laughs> I would hope so I don't know
11: what's going to happen with that I, I think the rights are kind of caught up right now with are Fox they? and
2: the yeah. movie franchise yeah they... that, that whole thing's just blown way out of the water right yeah,
11: now yeah so I, I don't know so much of it is legal I mean, uh, yeah. Wolverine has been one of those characters that's come and gone for me throughout the years i played him many many times but I have to audition every time he comes up, so really? I, I hope he comes around That's again.
2: 350 uh, different things you think of by now. <laughs> One would think. It doesn't work that way, though, no. <laughs>
11: unfortunately. I'm grateful for every time I get hired, though.
2: Well, Steve, I want to thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it today. Thank you
11: for having me on the show. Yeah, I wonderful. really appreciate it.
3: All right, everyone, this is Tap with Four Guys in a Comic, and I am here with Trey Lehman, owner of the Star Wars Ford Raptor truck. Uh, Trey, this is an amazing truck, man. I mean, you got all the signatures from the cast and, and everyone on it. I mean, I showed some video of it to people on there. Go on our Facebook feed. They can see the truck. But, I mean, this is amazing. Like, what brought what brought this on? What made you decide to, to do this? Um, you know, at the Taco
10: Bell, Hummer was actually what I wanted one. Ever since I didn't win that Taco <laughs> Bell Hummer, I saw that uh, back in the 90, 99, something like that, they did that giveaway Taco Bell. I said, i got to have... Vehicle like this someday so you know we went through a bunch of different processes and eliminations what we wanted to do you know uh, I always wanted to do after episode uh, three of the Revenge of Sith I love the lava, Dula Mustafar the whole that I love a lava splash so that kind of the truck itself the Ford Raptor has the own lava interior really brought a lot of my, my inspiration out of the truck but then uh, you know we troop with the Bible first and I wanted Darth Vader on the side uh, and that's me in my original costume uh, First stormtrooper on the other side. Of the ever Troop with Chris Andrews. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really piece of fan art for everybody, and that's what I, I just love to do. We love driving it down the street, you know, and, and blowing the horn, for yeah. the people, and it gets attention and just, yeah, and, and talking about it, you know, the stories, yeah.
3: you know. No, it's it's absolutely amazing, and I, it's obviously a labor of love, and you did a fantastic job on it. It's a very impressive. Yeah. George
10: George Luke is when he came in the autographed the side of the truck. I asked him to sign that morning he came in walking around early in the morning before the convention floor opened, of course I got lucky to be at my vehicle, and he signed the truck, and he steps around to the back, and he sees this Han Solo and carbonate, and he goes, it's Han and carbonate, Melanie, boys, come here, it's Han and carbonate, everybody, it's Han and carbonate, and he goes, of all the places I never thought I'd see Han Solo was in the bed of a pickup, and he goes, this is a great piece of work, he goes, you've done a great job putting this truck together,
3: Oh, that's, you hear that from George Lucas, yeah, that's, goes, yeah, it, that makes everything all worth it there absolutely time money effort everything uh, everybody that uh, has seen the truck in person come to it and uh,
10: daniel logan the first time i ever went to have him sign i went up to say hey will you come down and sign the truck i'm not or, and he goes no i'm not talking to you first i go hey daniel you got a moment he goes no i'm not talking to you and then i go what did i do wrong here second so i step back up and say daniel i go i'm the owner of the star wars rapper he goes i know who you are and he goes and I hate you. He goes, that is one awesome truck. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I hate you. And, he, and then he came down here and we, we sat in the truck for an hour and talked. Uh, and he's actually coming back down to sign again today. We got a signature issue over uh, fading away. We gotta be real careful about how we sign the truck now. We're learning from experience on colors of uh, pens and things like that. And what vinyl does to ink. Uh, um, so it's definitely a project.
3: Awesome. Well, you, apparently you do conventions and, yeah. and everything, so if you guys are ever near and you happen to see the Star Wars Raptor, come by and say hi to Trey. It's an amazing, amazing truck. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Here I
2: am at Tidewater Comic Con with none other than Ernie Hudson. Ernie, welcome. How are you doing today?
5: I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing
2: well, thank you. Well, you're most obviously noted for Ghostbusters. and But we got some new stuff I see coming down. Uh, the Millman and Arnold. I see we have that coming down. Uh,
5: the Mailman and Arnold?
2: Yeah, you're doing. Ar- hey, Arnold?
5: Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it is. What uh, is it?
2: It's understandable that you're doing a voice acting bit as a mailman for. Uh,
5: oh, sometimes cartoon. I don't remember the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe so. Yeah, yeah maybe so. I, you, know, I,
2: you got so uh, much stuff go- you're working uh, on. Don't yeah, you?
5: no, it's true. And sometimes when I do the voiceover stuff, I don't really. Uh, but um, but I, well, I'm happy I'm in it. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> That's cool. um, well, I yeah.
2: want to ask you. Do a lot of these uh, comic cons, and you
5: well. Yeah, I don't say a lot, lot, but I mean, I, whenever clear. I yeah, whenever I can. Yeah, over the years I've yes. done. I have really enjoy meeting the fans, seeing the people who actually see the movies, mm-hmm. and uh, who appreciate the movies. Um, it means a lot to me, and um, yeah, I, I enjoy the connection.
2: I was curious, um, what are some of the most notable uh, things that you've come across over the years at the cons?
5: Um, the most impressive thing to me about how the Comic Cons uh, have developed is how much of a family thing it is. You know, it's this multi-generational, yes. not many things in our society that we can share. Uh, grandparents with their grandchildren, parents, you know, families come out, little kids, babies, uh, and they're all dressing up in their favorite characters. And that's, that's unusual, it's very special. And anything that brings us together as a society, I'm really in favor of.
2: All right. Has there been anything notable that's always stuck in your head that, that a fan ever came across for you? Anything that kind of moved you or anything that way?
5: Well, I had a, a young man came up with his family, had a little baby about 10 months old. And the baby had this very beautifully uh, stitched Ghostbuster jumpsuit with his name uh, stitched on it. And I, I, said to the guy, I said, really nice. Uh, where did would you find it? And his mom stepped up and said, No, I made it for him when he was a baby. Now his baby is wearing it. You know, a generation later, and that's the wonderful thing about movies is we share this, um, and it connects us. You know, it does. that's that's what yeah. I mean, and it goes on from special. one
2: generation to the next. It is that yep. is
5: very moving, very touching.
2: Well, I appreciate your time, Ernie. Thank you so much for joining us today.
11: Great
5: talking to you, and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. Um, I do a show called Grace and Frankie that's uh, with Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I encourage fans to watch, and um, yeah, just yes, be everybody
3: check that out. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you again. All right, All right. All right. thank
5: you, you Ernie.
3: Hey. All right, everyone. This is Tap with Four Guys in a Comic, and with me, I have none other than Ming Chen. That's right, AMC's Comic Book Man. I sell comics. Ming, how's it going?
9: It's going great. Well, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for, um, thanks for doing this. I uh, we Thank met you. we met a couple days ago, okay. and you're like, hey, I have a podcast. I'm like, well, let's podcast then.
3: Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I greatly appreciate it. Um, so one of the questions that one of our listeners had was. What is it like working with the guys, Walt and everyone else? Because obviously, you know, we all know you get a lot of flack from them. Yes. What is it truly like? Is it played up for the cameras or is it...
9: A lot of people ask me that. They're like, do you... you, All that abuse you take, do they... You know, is it exaggerated for TV, for entertainment value? And um, I'm like, in real life, it's actually worse. (laughs) And the reason it's worse is because you don't edit real life on the show... They take out all the stuff that Brian Johnson says that is usually not acceptable for anybody, much less uh, AMC. I don't even think it'd be appropriate for HBO. It's pretty... A lot of the stuff that Brian says is pretty bad. Oh, wow. And he'll say it while the cameras are rolling, knowing that it'll, it'll never make the show, but he can't help himself, and he says it anyways. But he's... um, Yeah, he goes... I wouldn't say he never goes too far with me, because he knows us. But yeah, some of the stuff he says is pretty dirty, so... But all the flack is, yeah, it's 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 real. I probably get it even worse than in real life for sure. Oh wow!
3: Well, you're my personal favorite Thank comic you. book man. Thank I uh, appreciate you, it. You keep stuff funny. You keep it fun and lighthearted, <laughs> and I greatly appreciate I, that. I appreciate
9: so. that. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it's funny. A lot of times, me and Mike will go to cons together, and people will say that. Mike gets so mad. It's so funny. <laughs> like you know, I don't ask for it anything. I I am very flattered by it, but uh, it's it's so funny. He Mike's
3: gets, my second he, favorite. He I love somewhere. you guys on ISOL Comics thank and you. Mike and Ming. It's thank you. fantastic. Thank you. Um,
9: it's a great podcast, partner. And uh, uh, I'm betting the other three guys with you on Four Guys in a Comic yeah. are very similar. You found you found a, you probably found a great group of guys to podcast we, we with. We did. And, uh, yeah, you're doing a great thing.
3: Yes, thank you. It's great.
2: All right, this is right over at Tidewater Comic Con. I'm with Annie Mia. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, so you have done a lot of stuff over the years. Oh,
7: yeah.
2: Cosplay <laughs> is my life. Yes, yes. So I would say about how Some many different possums do you think you've made up over the years?
7: God, I have to say over 50 definitely. I, I try to do um, at least 12 a year, so that's that's kind of where it comes that's from. a lot. Yeah. That's
2: a lot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So any of those particularly notable that you really enjoy the most, something that you Really outstanding.
7: Um, you know, my, my Luca from Singing of the Dragon. It's uh, from an anime Vocaloid, uh, the the singing group. Uh, but it was my first time making a very elaborate ball gown, and yeah, you know, it was my chance. I, I do a lot of very kick-ass characters, mm-hmm. so it was my first time being like pretty and delicate oh, yes. and yes. very detailed. So that was really fun to put together a, a very girly dress. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: cool. That's cool. Is there anything that you're really excited to make up next? Do you have anything? Um, in the gosh.
7: World? You know, I'm doing a a Tron suit. Uh, I didn't make this one because it's uh, it's completely out of latex. Uh Um, But I've always been a big fan of Tron, so I'm really excited about that one. And, yeah, I I have so many dream costumes that I want to put together. Uh, I don't even know where to start on picking them sometimes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, out of all these cons that you've done over the years, what do you think is the most notable moment for you? Something that really just just stuck in your head that you'll never forget.
7: That's hard. I guess as a cosplayer, my favorite would be... um, I'm a huge Elf Quest fan. Okay. Uh, it was one of the first comics I ever read as a kid. And so I did a I cosplayed as Lita. Mm-hmm. And I went to San Diego Comic-Con and I got to meet Richard and Wendy um, who are the creators. And Wendy came down from behind the booth and ran over to me and wanted a picture. And that was like <laughs> the highlight of my life oh my was gosh, that yes. the creator of the comic that I've loved my whole life is paying like, you homage. Yeah, is like <laughs> running down to take a picture with me and yes. I was just floored. That is really yeah. That's cool. Really I good. cried a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you did. I'm not going to lie. I cried. <laughs> oh
2: my gosh. You almost made me tear up listening to that story.
3: <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking the time with us today and I wish you the best of luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what up everyone? This is tapping with me. I have... Jeff. Jeff from Kansas City Brick Lab Lego Users Group. So, I'm looking at this incredible, incredible Venom Lego piece and he was just explaining to me how it took him 20 plus hours. So, my next question is, how do you come up with that kind of a design? Well, it starts by finding something that I really like to do, and uh, then just finding what pieces are available. So, for example, on Venom,
4: one of his classic uh, signature parts is his teeth, really long teeth. And so I
2: found
3: a set that has very long teeth that just make him look, really pop out and and stand out as a Venom character. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. You said it took you 20-plus hours, and like you said, it's a labor of love at this point. Yeah. that's fantastic and I'll take some photos here everyone so you guys can kind of see what we're referring to and uh, make sure you guys hit them up what's your guys' Facebook uh, Kansas City brick Lab, um, .org. kcbricklab.org is the website but there's also a group on Facebook that, that you can be added to if you want to look us up alright perfect thank you very much
12: this is
9: Jay Lee one of the guys with the four guys and the comic podcast wants you guys to listen each Saturday um, and uh, I hope to join them soon
2: All right, this is Red here with a brand new segment that I think you'll all enjoy throughout the coming podcast called Prank Calls. Now, I've taken the time and I've called a bunch of individuals. Unfortunately, a good many of them actually hung up on me. and But we did have a few people that actually stuck with it throughout the call. So let's tune in and see what happened. Uh, why, yes, good sir. I'm trying to get a hold of, uh, Mark. Yeah, speaking. I'm sorry, and I, I apologize. I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce your last name. It's, uh, can you give me a hand with that? It's Le- Leherix? Pardon me, I can hear you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I apologize. Yeah, I'm just having trouble here uh, for your last name. That's, uh, Leherix?
10: Yeah, Leherix.
2: Leherix? Well, mister, uh, you know, uh, my name is Cal Worthington. I'm with the Agency for the Protection of Copyright Laws. and calling in regards to a uh, a podcast, a podcast I understand you're affiliated with. Uh, are you are you affiliated with any podcast, good sir? Yeah, um,
1: I do write reviews for uh, Four Guys
2: in a Comic. Yes, Four Guys in a Comic podcast. That's what I'm calling about. Yes, um, I must legally advise you first that this call be recorded and the Agency for the Protection of Copyright Laws, entities Shall have the right to assert and enforce these provisions directly on its own behalf. Now, as I said, I am Cal Worthington with the Agency of the Protection of Copyright Laws, and I'm contacting you in regards to infringement of Article 61 of the 1994 agreement on the trade related aspects of intellectual property right laws. And we're bringing up criminal procedures against the willful trademark counterfeiting of these against Four Guys in a Comic podcast. Now, all those affiliated, such as yourself, you know, are seen on 268 counts of copyright infringement with individual penalties, up to $276,341. Now, I know that was a lot I just put out to you, sir, but are you aware of the situation that's going on with this company at this time? Um, when you say company? Yes. The four guys in a comic podcast company. Now, we have... Completed a legal search and seizure of one personal computer from a Mr. Schmidt of the Four Guys in a Comic podcast. And your personal information was found within the hard drive as a collaborator with the Four Guys in a Comic podcast. Now, I just, you mentioned you're affiliated with them. All right, so. Well, it's also been noted that within the subpoena of their bank accounts, their PayPal accounts, and again with the seized hard drive, of that a large considerable sum of money in the amount of $585,000 was moved several times under your name, Mark. Now, I'm just trying to get an understanding of what's going on with this. Now, can you please explain this half million dollars to us, please, sir? Uh, Not
1: other than the amount of money that it represents.
2: All right, now see this is the confusing part because they got your name in here. There's been money transferred into Canadian accounts, and it's been going between the four individuals, and it got your name in here. Now, sir, at this point, I'd like to ask you if you have a lawyer available to you, and if not, you can't afford a lawyer. Law requires that the government will appoint you one. Now, I understand there is international laws between Canadian and the U.S. borders. Okay, so, you have, you have agreed that you're affiliated with the podcast. We have found your name on their hard drive. Now, as I said, I'm with the protection of copyright laws, and we need to find out what is going on with this. So, what all is your involvement with them, sir? Uh, I read
1: comic books, and then I write about comic books.
2: So you read and write about the comic books. Well, what about this half million dollars that have moved around in your name? Are you getting paid for your reading?
0: Uh, Yeah, half million dollars would be
2: great. So you admit that you are receiving this money. Okay. Well, at this point, sir, we are going to have to proceed with legal uh, ramifications of this. And so I'm going to be having to look and to get a subpoena on your accounts just so you're aware. Okay. All right. What else can you contribute to what's going on with this? Can you give us an explanation on what you're doing with this half a million dollars? Where is this coming from? I wish I could. And why do you say you I'm wish? Still going to my work. I'm still going to my job every day, so I
1: can't, can't come and be on that.
2: All right. Now, now, Mark, when I mentioned before at the start of this call, I, no, I did tell you this call was being recorded, Okay. And I also may have failed to mention that this call is recorded for a segment of the Four Guys in a Comic podcast. Sir, this is Red from the from the podcast. How you doing tonight, Mark? <laughs> pretty good. I'm making buns and for, you know, the week's hamburgers
4: and sand- bread for sandwiches. So I'm trying to listen to you on speakerphone. Uh-huh. That's kind of hard.
2: Kind of hard. Well, we didn't get much of a reaction out of you, but we had some fun.
4: That was pretty hey, good, Mark. Phone, actually. I normally uh, don't notice such things as phone calls
2: on the phone <laughs> I don't think he, yeah the other guys can't they, they everybody can hear you but uh are the only one that can hear me I think right now okay. so, but anyways we hey, like, yeah, I'm not
1: used to getting phone calls on the
2: phone yes well tell you what mark I got a couple other people I'm going to call real quick and um, we'll we'll chat a little bit later on all right all right good. all right bye I'm sending him a comic. It's okay. okay. I have the comic All right, right. You're recording? Yeah. Here we go. Here's the call.
3: Send it to the mayor.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. May I speak with a uh, Mr. Izzeri? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm um, yeah, um, sorry. My name is Cal Worthington with the Agency of the Protection of Copyright Laws. I'm trying to get a hold of you for the last couple of days. I'm glad you picked up tonight. Uh, I spoke with uh, one of the individuals you work with and said you might be available. Um, I understand that you do work with the uh, four guys in a comic podcast. Is that true, sir?
1: Um, I normally uh like support them by spreading the spreading the word and stuff.
2: Well, I must legally advise you that this call will be recorded, and the agency of the protection of copyright laws entities shall have the right to assert and enforce these provisions directly on its own behalf. Like I said, I am Cal Worthington with the Agency for the Protection of Copyright Laws, and I'm contacting you in regards to infringement of Article 61 of the 1994 Agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property right laws. And we are being criminal proceedings starting for these penalties of Wilford trademark counterfeiting. Or copyright piracy in a commercial scale by four guys in a comic podcast, and all those affiliated with them on two hundred and sixty-eight counts of copyright infringement, with individual penalties of two hundred and seventy-six thousand three hundred forty-one dollars. Now, are you aware of these penalties, sir?
1: No, I am not aware. Yeah. I am just, just—I am just a big fan of their podcast. So I just like to help as much as I can by spreading the word.
2: Well, here's the thing, right, though, turn sir. Turn off your video. We. Now, like I said, I'm um, trying to find my information here. Well, it is noted that, okay, here it is. I found the subpoena paperwork. Now, we had subpoenaed the bank accounts and PayPal accounts. And again, with the seizure of the hard drive, that a large considerable sum of money in the amount of $585,000 was moved several times under your name with a Las Vegas address. Now, can you explain this half million dollars, sir?
1: I have
2: no idea what uh, anything would we'll be doing under my account. Yeah, I'm,
1: I don't like know I said, you, I'm, I'm, I'm only 17, so I. Yeah. So then
2: I don't know if they're taking advantage of you, sir, or what. I mean, you're you're Mister Izari, correct? From in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mister, how what's the
1: last name? Izari. Can I get a spelling?
2: I r i z a r r y.
1: Yeah, that is my last name. That is don't your see last I've name. With
2: that. Like I said, sir, when we subpoenaed their accounts as well as our hard drive, your name was found in there with the movement of, like I said, five hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars under your name. It's been moved from the US to Canada, then straight back to Las Vegas. Yeah. Now never now, done that. Now Mr. Iriziri, at this point I'd like to ask you if you have a lawyer available to you. Now, I if not, okay, I well, was
1: never associated with any money. Uh, I just listened to the podcast.
2: Well, since so you don't, since you don't have a lawyer, the government will appoint you one. All right, because this is serious allegations. You know, copyright infringement, legal illegal movement uh, what, of money what, what? throughout the U.S. and Canada under your uh, name.
1: But why? Why would that have been done to me if I'm not associated with any of it? I was not uh, like I. Well, my God. It, it's just that's why would that be happening? I never.
2: That's what we're trying to find out. We we need to know what's going on with this.
1: Who who would have done that?
2: Well, we have it under here a Mister Schmidt. And are you familiar with him, sir? Uh, I don't know
1: he's a Red Skull. Mm,
2: okay, so that's. Okay, so that clarifies a few things. We hear the name Red Skull in this podcast a lot. So the individual that goes by the name Red Skull has used the name Mr. Schmidt in regards to the transfer of this money to be initiated into your own personal account. Okay. So my question is, Is what are you doing with this money, sir? Well,
1: I never had the money, so... Mm. I don't know what I would have done with it.
2: Well, as I mentioned before at the beginning of this call, I told you this call is being recorded. Now, I may have failed to mention that this call is recorded for a segment of the Four Guys in a Comic podcast. Deary, this is Red. You've just been pranked. <laughs> 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 <The little reaction>. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? That's all? That's it? <laughs>
1: Deary oh, sounds Deary. so so enthused. I appreciate it.
4: I was kind
2: of confused. You were kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, everybody, we can all hear you. They can't, uh, they, you can't hear everybody. We're just having some fun. We're doing a new segment of the show. We just wanted to have some fun and call you out.
1: Okay. Okay, well, thank you. Well, you're good. Hope it helps you
2: guys out. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Well, we'll, t- we'll chat later online, all right, man? Okay. All right, talk to you later.
4: Bye. Oh God! My gosh! How could you? That was
2: just sick and not. <laughs> He's only seventeen. Oh,
6: exactly. Very sick. Welcome, everyone, to a new segment of the show. I promise you this is my last new segment. It is called The Creator's Corner, where basically the four of us are going to sit around our virtual round table, put a creator in the middle and basically talk about them, put them on a metaphorical pedestal and uh, just talk about the work they've done. So two weeks ago, uh, this day, Saturday, a great comic book cartoonist uh, passed away by the name of Darwin Cook. Uh, if you don't know who he is, we're going to talk about him in a second, but I just wanted to talk about how influential this man was. Uh, his art was instantly recognizable. People fell in love with him, everything he did. Uh, there You couldn't find a single person who would ever complain about his work. And the day he passed away, uh, if you were on Twitter and you follow creators on Twitter, the Twitterverse blew up. Um, people were posting pictures, uh, their condolences... It was a big shock and people were surprised. I mean, we just found out he had cancer and now he passed away. Uh, it was a big deal. And if some of you have read something like The New Frontier, you'll know what what comics meant to Darwin Cook and how big of an influence they were on his life and how much he wanted to influence other people's lives. So uh, may he rest in peace and may his work continue to inspire others, uh, inspire us, and uh, continue to bring joy to people reading comics, which is something that I think, you know, comics miss sometimes. Uh, they miss that joy, that fun, that spirit. And Darwin Cook was one of the top people bringing that into the medium. All right, guys. So Darwin Cook. Uh, any of you guys read some of his stuff? Familiar with it? I'm sure most of us have read the New Frontier.
2: Oh I my mean, God, uh, yeah. I mean, who isn't familiar with Darwin Cook? He's put out so much. Great stuff. Of course, almost all of it being DC. You know, Eisner
4: Award winner. It's just. It's a loss. It's a true loss. You know, and it's crazy because he's worked on, like, going through and actually, like, looking at, like, everything he's worked on, like, for mostly with DC stuff. I mean, he's, like, spanned it all the way across the DC spectrum, too, from Catwoman to Watchmen, you know, to Superman to. Wonder Woman, Justice League. I mean, he's done like every title. It seems like.
3: And speaking of Eisner, don't forget about the Spirit. Yeah, he worked on the Spirit as well.
4: Yeah, so it's crazy though. He whoa, okay. Here's a good one for you. Um, He did work. I guess I don't know in what way he's done work for Harley Quinn too. Mm -hmm. I know the new.
6: He had a huge series of variant covers. Uh, that that might be it. That's what I think it is. I mean, I own a bunch of these, but I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. But I think primarily, well, his biggest work for sure has been the New Frontier, which won an Eisner, a Harvey, and a Schuster Award, uh, which is just insane. So he wrote and drew it, uh, as we all know. It was a six-issue limited series, and these are like huge issues. They're sixty to seventy pages each. Uh, And, you know, it was just such a fun and creative series. Just seeing, like, these heroes we all know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, meeting Green Lantern, Flash, Martian Manhunter in sort of the 50s and 60s. You know, it was pretty unique. And uh, his art style just, his art was fantastic in that book. It was so just drool-worthy. And I I think one thing people always mention about his art is... He's sort like his characters always just seem you know, it seems like they, they're glad to be heroes uh, you know if you looked on Twitter the day he passed away, there's so many pictures of characters with huge smiles on their faces and mm-hmm. being great friends together and just these teams united and being somewhat happy about being superheroes
2: yeah, I mean if you look through his bio, he has I mean, he's really done everything, I mean, writer colorist you know, artist, penciler, letterer, cover artist. And if you go through his covers, just like you said, Nova, most of those covers aren't that dark, gruesome, you know, but they're happier, you know, simple, you know, s- things that uh, are more comic booky. I guess is the best way to put it. Comic booky. Yeah, you know, a little happier, I guess you could say.
6: Yeah, you got like the Teen Titans on a stage playing, like pretending to be a rock band, playing instruments and stuff. Just, yeah, just bringing the fun back into comics,
4: mm-hmm how long has cook been working in the comic industry nova
6: mm, so you want you want to know his his first thing, his first piece of work uh, yeah what year did
2: he start in nineteen eighty five yeah, that was with uh, a new talent showcase issue number
6: nineteen, yeah, and then he. Yeah, it looked like he took a break for a bit, but came back. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he also... Oh, I didn't know this. Uh, He was also um, a storyboard artist for uh, Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. Awesome. Yeah, and he did some work with Batman Beyond. Yeah, so he was was also working behind the scenes on some of our favorite animated TV shows.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, he's been, He's and he's, of course, you know, he has done work with uh, Marvel, uh, X-Force, Wolverine, Dupe, uh, and some Spider-Man stuff.
4: Image, uh, Witchblade. It seems like he really liked Dupe. Like, going through his Marvel stuff, there's a lot of Dupe stuff. <laughs> like, it may have something to do, though, with, with him working on Ecstatics, so... Yeah, Dupes interesting, though. He's just one of those characters. He has one in here that I, now it makes me want to read, and it's Wolverine and Dupe, the series. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty good.
3: That would be a lot of fun. That would be a good read.
4: I don't know, yeah. but it's this is kind of cool, just, like, I guess, going through and seeing all these... Like I said, I haven't just sat down and gone through, like, all of it, but just, like, flipping through his work, there's so many things that I recognize that I'm like, I didn't know he worked on that. And it's weird how e- even if you didn't know who he was as a person by name, you probably knew his work.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, even like you were saying New Frontier, I mean, his work was all over even the, the animated New Frontier. So even if you've never read the comic and you've only seen you know the DVD, you've, you've seen his work, so...
6: Yeah, he's also, like like you mentioned, Rusty, he did uh, before Watchmen, which I need to check out. I never read any of those, but uh, if he wrote and drew it, I'm sure it's fantastic. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real tragedy that, you know, he passed away, especially he was only 53 years old. He had years that he could have put into more covers, more interiors, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a really young guy. From what I've heard, he's just—he was just the, the sweetest man on earth, too. So, yeah, always a tragedy to lose uh, good people. Yeah,
2: that it is. But no, the best way we can all honor him at this time is just to pick up one of his books and give it a read.
3: Yeah, agreed.
6: Go back, reread New Frontier, and just you know get those tears of joy running as you mm-hmm. realize how much you've missed fun comics. Get away from the gritty Batman,
3: <laughs> which is still awesome. By the way, yeah, we're not knocking Batman. Batman of course.
6: <laughs> don't uh, don't t- don't 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 stop listening because I made a joke.
2: <laughs> but no, but yeah, no, David. He I mean he cooks done some Batman too. Batman and Robin, yep. Batman Beyond, Batman Gotham Knights, Batman Gotham Adventures. <laughs> yep. He's got plenty of Batman under his belt that you can pick up and read as well.
6: He also did this cool little thing where dc did this uh a bunch of little series called just imagine if stanley had created the dc universe and it's basically i guess they got stanley to write like if he did batman if he did captain marvel all that stuff and uh darwin cook did a few of those as well so definitely worth checking out
12: that's funny
6: yeah but yeah, that will wrap up this segment of the podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to try and talk about uh, bigger names as well and uh, smaller guys too. You know, you got to get the indie guys out there. So that's it. See you guys next time.
7: From the leading
1: comic enthusiast podcasters comes the number one t-shirts for geeks, nerds, and awesome people everywhere. Presenting four guys in a comic official tea. When you get a hold of an awesome black and white tea, when you get your skin wrapped around the classic design, or put yourself in a white and black cotton burrito, you'll feel right at home with the four guys. Imagine the feeling of chanting Hail Hydra in these stylish designs. Prepare for adventure with your favorite shirt. Buy now, and a minuscule portion of your purchase will go to helping aid Sokovian recovery. The four guys in a comic t shirt. Get yours now.
3: to another edition of who's who in comics this is tap and with me today i have a very special guest mr ken marcus from superhuman resources ken how are you doing
12: good good thank you for having me guys oh yeah not a problem
3: so what character i guess would you
12: like to discuss today um i guess uh i can discuss my main character's name is tim and uh he's like the primary protagonist of our book superhuman resources and uh he started out as a a temp He's an ordinary guy, he's in like accounts payable, and he got a uh, temp assignment for one of the weirdest jobs he's ever had at the uh, headquarters of, Super, of uh, Super Crisis International, which is a team of superheroes. So uh, he's tasked with uh, like tracking down people's receipts for expense reports and filing um, uh, accounts payable, a uh, uh, bunch of accounting shit I don't understand. Uh, But basically, he gets thrown into the crazy world of superheroes and comic books. Um, But he has no powers, and he's basically what it's like to work as an ordinary person uh, with the most dysfunctional uh, co-workers you can possibly imagine, and that's superheroes. In our second volume, he's not a temp anymore. He's a full-time employee, and um, I don't think it's a big spoiler to say he gets kidnapped, and now he has to do the same exact job for... um, an interstellar conqueror named Devastator, who's a villain, and he's got some accounting problems of his own. It's it's more exciting than it sounds. Uh no one wants to read a comic book about accounting. That's kind of it. Uh I, I like to say that his superpower is just being a decent human being. He's just like a good person. Uh, so I think comics could use that sometimes.
3: I would definitely agree with that. And the one thing I can also vouch for is that this book is hilarious, folks. It is not just a comic book with accounting. It, this book is hysterical from start to finish. Both volumes are great. Uh, you can pre-order them, I believe, on Amazon right now. Is that great?
12: Yeah, actually, um, Superhuman Resource 2, the new book, is in previews right now. So in um, through the end of April, you can go to your comic store and order it. Uh, the first volume, a reprint, I think it just left... Um, uh, ordering, I'm sure you can probably slip it in under the radar. Uh, but, yes, you can still get it on Amazon and um, other places. But, yeah, that should be in stores in May, uh, The re- which is a trade.
3: Fantastic. Yep. Well, folks, if you heard it here, if you haven't read it yet, or if you haven't even heard the interview that we did with Mr. Ken Marcus, go back, check out the interview that we did. Check out the books. You're not going to regret it. They are beyond hilarious. Uh, Ken, once again, thank you for so much for coming on and uh, discussing Tim.
12: Cool. Thank you for having me.
3: with me today i have a very special guest none other than mr matt hawkins matt how's it going tonight
8: i'm doing great thanks for having me back on guys
3: yeah yeah welcome back we're more than happy to have you back on uh so tonight you want to discuss one of your original characters with us who do you got for us
8: I talked to Dr. David Lauren, the uh, main character from my Think Tank book, the book I do with Rasaan Ekadal, and uh, we just launched a, a new arc, actually the fourth volume just came out, uh, well the first issue of the fourth volume, uh, Think Tank Creative Destruction number 1, and uh, David Lauren is sort of the uh, is this genius, sort of prodigy, slacker, crazy, uh, sort of frat boy persona guy who hides behind this, uh, kind of this... this slacker mentality to, uh, prevent himself from going insane. Um, I, I sort of liken him to, uh, you know, he he was, he was 14 years old when he was recruited by the military to, uh, to go to Caltech and to be, and to go into that, you know, I, 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 when I started researching this character originally, I, I, started looking at how, uh, the military recruits young kids into their programs, just like athletes are recruited into, uh, the NFL and the NBA, and uh, no one ever really talks about that, you know, how these kids are sort of brought in, these genius-level kids. And and the way they're recruited is you go in and you realize these uh, they don't have really any friends. They're like 12 and a senior in high school. And uh, so you come in, you put them in an environment where they're around people like themselves, and then you sort of sign them up for life. I mean, there's... There's a, uh, a presidential decree that can label someone as a national asset, and once that's done, they become uh, unable to travel internationally, they're unable to get a passport, and they're effectively uh, an indentured servant, albeit a first world indentured servant. But, uh, and uh, the main reason being is uh, you know, if, you, if you go to the compound where Osama bin Laden was taken out and you take and try to reverse engineer the uh, Sikorsky that crashed, that is less doable than kidnapping a guy and getting him to build you the next one. You know, so these research scientists that uh, that exist have a lot of knowledge and capability. So our government wants to prevent them from being captured and taken into other countries at all costs. So that's sort of the uh, the environment behind the scenes is this sort of military industrial complex. But you've got this guy who's now 28 years old. He's been doing this for a while. He realizes this is sort of the universal theme. I I, I sort of claim with this character is he, he doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, we've all been to that point, some point in our lives where. We've been doing this thing, and we've been doing it for a really long time. And then you you take a step back and say, wow, do I really want to do this? And for him, you know, he got into it for the science. He got into it for the excitement. And now he realizes 10 years later he's killing a lot of people around the world, and he doesn't like it. And uh, so for a while he tried to get out of it, and then he realized he was stuck. And now he's trying to make the best of it, and he's got in the new series, uh, he's got a girlfriend. He's got a nice little... You know, group of characters around him, Uh, his girlfriend, Mirisway. He's got a guy named Manish, who's kind of his Indian sidekick. And uh, a lot of these characters are based on people I I went to school with or loosely based on people I went to school with. And uh, sort of some of them are amalgamations of some of them. But uh, it's just it's really interesting how someone that can be so smart can be so stupid at the same time. Like, I, I know a lot of really, really smart people, but they're all emotionally stunted you know and almost everyone i know that uh, goes into science of some sort is uh, is on the spectrum the autism spectrum uh, uh, a little bit so this character has uh, just a lot of that stuff going on he's he's constantly uh you know having to explain himself over and over to the people he works with and he, he he just gets frustrated by that and i think that's i think that's where the character's kind of a smart ass and he's kind of an asshole you know you read the character, you read the book and you realize this guy's kind of a dick but you like him anyway and that's kind of how i've written him from the beginning and that's what people come up and when they tell me so i'm going to and they like it, so the book sells, and I'm going to keep doing it that way. But it was sort of an experiment.
3: Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so, obviously, you said you're on Volume 4, correct? Yes. So this is something that's obviously been going on for a while. How, how long ago did you create David Lauren?
8: Uh, 2008. What is this? Uh, we're in 2016, so it's eight years ago.
3: Okay, okay. So, um, for those that don't know, obviously, Think Tank, part of Top Cow, Mr. Matt Hawkins... Uh, Go out, check it out, read it. I know Red, actually, if you guys are listening to our podcast, just did a review a few weeks ago in regards to Think Tank number one. So be sure you guys are checking it out, giving it a listen and a like. Um, Until then, thank you, Matt, for coming on to the show. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
2: bringing the new comic book releases for Wednesday, June 1st, 2016. Starting off with Marvel, we have A-Force, number six, at a price of $3.99. The mysterious countess has taken over the town of A-Force, came to save, rebuilding in her own image, and with a mind-controlled Nico Marumu on her side. It's A-Force versus Nico and the team is learning the hard way just how powerful Nico can be. Will this be the end of the A-Force at the hands of one of their own? or will she hulk's risky plan allow them to live long enough to fight another day we have all new all different avengers number 10 at a price of 3.99 the search for noah's father begins the avengers join sam alexander for a space-faring mission to find noah's lost father only to find themselves trapped in a galactic prison planet we'll have all new wolverine issue number 9 with one variant cover being offered at a price of 3.99 on the road to civil war 2 Lauren logan we've seen it before Old Man Logan has stepped out of a dissimilar future and into a world, his past full of horrors. He's about to bring a lot of baggage and carnage Laura's way. With a civil war set to divide the hero's world, will Old Man Logan and Wolverine stand together against the coming nightmare, or will they shred each other apart? We'll have Amazing Spider-Man number 13 at a price of 3.99. Power play continues. Things aren't going well between the Amazing Spider-Man and the Invincible Iron Man, and their conflict is opening the door for Regent and his plan against our heroes. Now that Regent has started imprisoning heroes and stealing their powers, things have gone from bad to worse. We'll be getting Civil War II, issue number 1. All the information about it is classified, except for the fact that there is 14, yes, I said 14 variant covers being offered for that. We'll get Contest of Champions, issue number 9, with one variant cover at a cover price of $3.99. A new team of heroes is registered for the contest, and they are very pro-registration. Their next mission, exterminate the renegade champions scattered across Battleworld. We'll be getting Deadpool issue number 13 with 7 variant covers being offered for that at a cover price of three ninety-nine. An all new epic 4 issue crossover in one package, the issue of Deadpool. Lucky number 13 literally contains 2 issues of Deadpool, 1 issue of Daredevil and 1 issue of Power Man and Iron Fist. When Deadpool takes a gig protecting a bank who betrayed his cartel partners. They seek to help out Assistant District Attorney Matt Murdock, who calls into the assistance of Powerman's Luke Cage and Danny Rand, Master of the Iron Fist, a mega-violent, street-level, face-punching, gut-busting, kung-fu-fighting ninja crime story guaranteed to knock your teeth out, bringing together the writers of the Deadpool, Daredevil, and Power Man and Iron Fist series. Next up, we have Invincible Iron Man issue number ten with two variant covers being offered at a price of three ninety nine. On the road to Civil War II, it is Tony against some of his closest and dearest friends, as they rock Tony and the status quo of it to his very foundation. You can't tell you anything else without spoiling Civil War II, but you will not want to miss this emotional, explosive chapter. We'll have Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble Civil War issue number four at a price of two ninety nine. United they stand, the divided Avengers will need to reunite to save the world from ultimate destruction. But can Captain American Iron put aside their differences before Ultron can make his final move? The grand finale to our four-part epic. We get Moon Knight, issue number three, at a price of three ninety-nine with one variant cover. Next up, Old Man Logan, issue number seven at a price of 399. This is Logan at his most fundamental. Back to the wall, his survival riding only on his wits. See Termination and his Animanium Claws. When Lady Deathstrike and her murderous gang of Reavers follow Old Man Logan to the isolated town of Killhorn Falls, it's up to Logan to defend off his attackers while protecting the civilians, including the girl who will one day grow up and become his wife. It's the ultimate cage match, and everything Old Man Logan cares about is on the line. (laughs) Next up, Punisher issue number two, with one variant cover, at a price of $3.99. Road trip Frank Castle's hunt has taken him on the road, and bodies will be left in the wake. With a DEA agent closing on him, things could get complicated. We'll also be getting Spider-Man 2099, issue number 11, at a cover price of 3.99. It's Sinister Six 2099, stranded in a 2099 he doesn't recognize. Miguel wakes up to find himself captive by a group of villains calling themselves the Sinister Six. But how it is that this timeline is so different than the one that Miguel left behind? Can Spidey escape the clutches of his captors and find a way back to the past so he can fix the future? We also beginning Spider Woman issue number 8 at a cover price of $3.99. Even though she's a mom now, Jessica True is still kicking ass and taking names as Spider Woman. This time she's tangling with the baddest fish in the sea Tiger Shark. Fun Tiger Shark fact Did you know Tiger Shark has the DNA of both Namor and Submariner and a Tiger Shark? Think about that for a second. We'll also be getting Spider-Woman, Event Omega issue number one with one variant cover being offered at a cover price of 4 dollars The Titanic conclusion of the Spider-Event of 2016. Silk is out of commission and Spider-Woman and Spider-Gwen return to Earth-65 for an impossible final battle. They are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. But it's a fight they'll have to fight. Don't miss this conclusion that will shake all three Spider-Women to the core. We'll also be getting Timely Comics, the all-new All Different Avengers number one at a price of $3.00. And Timely Comics All New in Humans number one for $3. And Timely Comics Carnage number one for $3. And wrapping up Marvel, we have X Men 92 issue number four at a cover price of $3.99. The X Men face the danger of the Darkhold a new virtual realm called cyberspace. Plus, they're still surrounded by vampires. All right, let's move over to DC where we have Batman Beyond issue number 13 at a cover price of $2.99. Past and present overlap as Batman and Barbara Gore an attempt to unravel the secrets of Rewire. It's no longer the same man behind the suit, so who is it? Meanwhile, we get a glimpse in the past of Terry McGinnis. Batman conducts a search for a possibly resurrected Joker. What light can this parallel search from the past shine on the mystery of the present? We'll also be having Batman Europa, Director's Cut, issue number one at a price of $5.99. Superstar artist Jim Lee returns to the Dark Knight with his premiere issue... Now presented in pencil form in this new Director's Cut special, the impossible has happened and Batman is on the verge of being taken down by an enemy he cannot defeat. A virus for which there is no cure. And the only hope for his salvation is the Joker who infected Batman. But does a clown prince of crime know how will the Dark Knight get that information? Next up we have Batman Rebirth number one with one variant cover being offered at a cover price of two hundred ninety nine. Langton, Batman, and Eisner Award-winning Scott Schneider co-writes with rising star Tom King. We have Bloodlines, issue number 3, at a cover price of $2.99. We'll be getting DC Bombshells, issue number 14, at a cover price of 3 Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy make it into Berlin to find the Joker's cabernet in the hands of the Joker's daughter, who has banished a magic Lezantane and Constantine into the streets of a Nazi-occupied Germany. Meanwhile, find out what happens to Mira at the Battle of Britain after being captured by Nerys as a prisoner of war. Next on the docket, we get Dr. Fate, issue number thirteen, at a cover price of two ninety nine. From Windowless Tower in Salem, Massachusetts, a man who is familiar with Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson, smells trouble coming, but will he be able to properly teach the formal medical student and current possessor of mystical power? We'll also be getting Green Arrow Rebirth issue number one, with one variant cover being offered at a cover price of two ninety nine. Together again in the first time that Emerald Archer meets Black Canary, questioning everything Green Arrow believes in. Dana Lance throws the hero's world upside down, forcing him to question what he cares about more, the morals or his money. Bullseye! Readers are arching for the reunion of Green Arrow and Black Canary, and we're finally giving it to them. We get Green Lantern's Rebirth, number one, with one variant cover, at a cover price of two We'll also have Injustice Gods Among Us, year five, issue number 11, for a price of $2.99. It's on. Harley has a lot's to get out of her system, and the first person she's going to get a dose of is the guy she's has a brief crush on, Shazam. But Shazzy's not buying what Harley's selling, so things are about to get complicated. Meanwhile, Superman pays a visit to a man who once headbutted him. We'll have Last Gang in Town, issue number six. This is part six of six at a price of three ninety-nine. We get Superman Rebirth, issue number one, with one variant cover at a cover price of two ninety-nine. The world needs a man of steel, but can Superman protect the world by raising a super son with his wife, Lois Lane? It begins now as Clark's turn to be a paw can't, and teach his son what it means to be super, but who is hunting the Superman's son and why? We'll also have Superman The Coming of Superman issue number 5 at a cover price of three nine nine. Superman the New Gods launched a plan to free the young boy and his dog from the Cryptolips prison, but Darkseid's ultimate prize is within sight, and the only person standing in the way is Lex Luthor. We'll have Survivor's Club issue number 9 at a cover price of three ninety nine. A Severed Head Place Tour Guide and Kirian chances to uncover the secrets of what connects them all. Simon gets into the haunted house training and Alicia reveals a new toy, monstrous as her dark ambitions. The... Alright, we, next we have Teen Titans Go issue number 16 at a cover price of two ninety nine. dollars 99 After ascending Black Heist, the amazing Mambo Jumbo uses magic to scramble the superpowers of the Teen Titans. What will Robin, Beast Boy, Starfire, Raven, and Cyborg do with their newfound abilities? And wrapping up for DC, we have Unfollow, issue number 8, at a cover price of $3.99. The 140's numbers are standing, starting to drop. It's easy to fall in front of a bus these days, and so, Larry Fellows has chosen one spread across the globe. Some are looking for peace, some are extremely firepower. But who placed the full-page advertisement in many of the world's top newspapers, and who is the 140's new headspace follower? Alright, let's go over to Image Comics, and we will be seeing Casanova Acadia issue number 5 at a cover price of $3.99 with um, covers A and B. We'll have Dead the Class issue number 21 at a cover price of 39 with covers A and B. Disciple issue number 4 for $2.99. Elephant Men number 71 for $3.99. Goddamn number 4 with covers A and B for a cover price of $3.99. And hey guys, cover B is with Scotty Young. And be sure to check out our podcast with Scotty Young. We'll be getting Nail issue number twenty two for a price of two ninety nine. Men issue number ten for two ninety nine. Paper girls number six for a price of two ninety nine. And I'm really looking for that issue. Power Paper Girls is really good if you haven't checked it out yet. We'll have Power Lines number three, part three of six at a price of three hundred ninety nine. Saints number nine, part nine of nine for a price of three ninety nine. We get Stray Bolt, Sunshine and Roses, number 15, for 3 dollars And Savage Dragon, number 214, for $3.99. Check out our uh, podcast again with um, Eric Larson on that one. And finally, The Walking Dead, issue number 155. This is the Tip of the Spear series, and it will be given to us for a price of $2.99. All right, guys, that wraps up the weekly releases for Wednesday, June first, two 2016. Thanks for joining us for another great
1: show. For more 4guys, check us out online at 4 and follow us on social media and Twitter at the number 4guysinacomic. And Facebook, keyword 4 guys in a Comic, where we post awesome comic reviews. You can be part of the show by sending us your questions. Also check out PopnerTV.com and contv.com.
5: Till next time, Excelsior!